is David here from the Pure Prairie Podcast, or rather, a cyborg modelled after David from the Pure Prairie Podcast. I have been sent back in time to kill Neil Lennon and replace him as Celtic manager with Gary Caldwell to destroy ten in a row before it goes live. Unfortunately, in the process of travelling for a time, I have caused some distortion, which may have affected Daniel's audio during parts of this episode. I apologise for this. Anyway, I better go. Our enemies have sent Lennon bullets in the post to warn him of our activities. We must strike fast. Episode 21 of the Purple Podcast. We are here for part two of our Brit Rest uh, Escapades, um, which was uh, originally intended to provide a bit of a stopgap while uh, Daniel sort of, I guess, took a little bit of time away to like get get clean and everything like that. I, I, I was wrestling with my personal demons. <laughs> yes, Daniel is in fact back, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, yeah! So... I, I, I really feel like in post-production we should do like, I, I want glass breaking, I want... My God! I, want, like, I, I just I want, want the, the clip of you saying, hello everybody, that we uh, used to just uh, put in when you weren't there we needed to record something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, hello everyone, I'm back, it's, it's, it's nice to be back. Yeah, uh, it's nice to have you back, mate, like, we've, uh, it, we've already, like, just, uh, just had a very nice time just, like, having a chat and catching up uh, beforehand and saying a lot of stuff that we, like, probably shouldn't sell the podcast because it's been unconfirmed <laughs> by, uh, by, uh, Highly libelous, <laughs> um, d- d- disgusting, uh, and, um, uh, perverse uh, machination disgusting about, uh, despicable lack of respect from this Billy what's his terrible, name terrible terrible thing uh, like, uh, um, yeah like uh, window cleaners that look like Gary Glitter all sorts of things <laughs> so yeah it's, it's good to be back um, I don't um, uh, yeah so I, I'm, I, I, since last time dear listeners I've, I've managed to stay off the uh, the, uh, the, the the booze and, um, um, and yeah I don't drink anymore so apologies for being 300% less funny throughout this episode <laughs> it's alright because you'd still probably be funnier than me so it's, so it's fine <laughs> well, you know like uh, but yeah uh, uh, thank you for your thoughts and prayers everyone and uh, David's here as well hi 
You all right? Yeah. Actually, I mean, we, we haven't yet. <laughs> Did you say sorry? <laughs> we, we haven't yet actually released the episode where we said, by the way, if you want to send any, like, well wishes to Daniel Wiley, just like him recovery, you can do so. That's how fucked our recording schedule is. But we want you to know that we made the efforts. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great, guys. I feel so supported right uh, now. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you're welcome, babe. So, uh, basically, what we're doing with this episode is, uh, whereas in the previous one, we were talking about Japanese wrestlers uh, making their way into a world of sport while they were on excursion, uh, we are going to move into the uh, wild world of the 21st century, uh, you know, the end of history. As, uh, welcome <laughs> to the world of tomorrow! <laughs> um, Espresso coffee, let's be managed, it's all happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically what we're doing is we're gonna um <laughs> fuck's sake man gonna, i've got a mouthful of grapes and i nearly choked on them honestly it's dangerous being sober this man, is man. this is like that scene in peep show where like super hands kick kicks like you got any olives i'm fucking mental for olives you know the amount of times that i've made reference to that scene since i've been sober <laughs> as long like, as you've not accidentally run to windsor at any point i think it's oh, fine i've done olives i've done jogging i've done grapes i've done um bombay mix Licks. i've done donuts <laughs> <I've> <laughs> everything other than booze now uh, and if you're out, the great thing about Bombay I, Mix is that if you're out of Bombay Mix, you can just empty out your Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I, I have a Bombay Mix anecdote from the day that Rangers and me for cut final. Of course you do, um, That's so brand. Oh man, um, yeah. Oh God, um, let's decox till we've got mega cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell! The thing about juice is that there's just so many nutrients. I'm sorry, I'm just quoting sober hands. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's alright, no, nothing, nothing that Peep Show did is ever going to be as funny as that New Statesman article where Robert Webb said, read some meffing all well. Oh, shout out to Real Politics. Uh, yeah, that's uh, episode 113 of theirs. I think it's really worth a li- listen. Top lads and uh, also in- incisive commentary on the sort of meltosphere of about uh, 2013. <laughs> meltosphere. <laughs> that would be my favourite word of all time, meltosphere. Um, Seeing as I live in Joe Shunton's constituency, I am very much in the meltosphere. <laughs> you, you really are. You wish you weren't, but you were. Uh, so we're basically, what we're going to do is uh, cover three matches uh, where Japanese wrestlers came over to the UK uh, in the 21st century uh, under basically varying different circumstances. I mean, we still do get wrestlers coming over uh, for exter- excursion. I'll never forgive myself for missing Hiromu Takahashi at Exeter Corn Exchange. But, um, and uh, obviously p- people like, um, I know uh, Shoto Amino is coming over uh, quite soon. We've had the great Okan who appears to have disappeared off the face of the earth, but he did exist, I promise. And um, Irish Ace, great <laughs> Yes, and, uh, but we... Um, well, a, a lot of like what uh, wrestling has become in the 21st century in Britain, we've basically had a sort of, I, I think it might be uncharitable to call it a false dawn in the mid-2000s, but certainly one where it looked as like the um, scene maybe had the potential to hit the stratosphere, and then for various reasons it didn't do that, and then the sort of second coming, starting about maybe 2013, 2014, a lot of super shows where you would bring over foreign talent from all over the globe, not just Japan, and they would sort of end up not being on excursion, but basically maybe coming in for a short tour or one-off appearances for like a, a quote-unquote dream match. Uh, but, but George, when are we going to get to talk about Wrestle Express? <laughs> cool lie, we salute you. We salute you. <laughs> I I literally wrote um, in uh, in uh, the notes for one of the matches that we're about to cover uh, the exact words "false dawn." Really, um, that that'd be quite a good uh, like gimmick in women's wrestling. Actually, it was just someone who like kept telling lies and like basically the female equivalent of just Joe. Like she's just like shit stirring backstage. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, the false equivalent of people who say TNA has us on the mend. <laughs> oh Christ! Or a false dawn of bootleg Pakistani newspaper. So that's a, that's another uh, that's a reference that I'm I'm pretty sure like less than less than one person will get. So uh, it's fine. Um, so basically, what we're going to do uh, firstly is to uh, dive into this false dawn, as Daniel was saying. So um, and we've talked about this on the uh, the show before. Basically, the reason for the show coming together. So this comes from the nineteenth uh, of March two thousand and five at the Rest uh, Indie Wankathon Theatre of, uh, of Dreams, the uh, Coventry Skydome. It's a six man tag uh, where uh, pro wrestling Noah's Mitsuharu Masawa, Yoshinari Agawa, and Tiger Emperor go up against Doug Williams, Two Cold Scorpio, and uh, James Ty. So the Wrestling Channel Super Show. Um, but, but, I mean, we, yeah, like I say, we talked about the Wrestling Channel before. It was uh, basically some Irish lads set up a channel on Sky, bought a load of tapes off of uh, various places, and basically rode it until the money ran out. Um, and part of what happened was basically a load of people getting their heads together and thinking, well, you know, this has a bit of an audience shall we maybe get a sort of best of of the things that are popular on the uh, on the channel so basically they had people coming over from uh, pro wrestling noah from japan uh, they had people coming over from uh, tna roh even a fucking uh, world of sport match between uh, uh, mal sanders and steve gray um yeah. on the card because that was the thing that got by far the highest ratings because basically it was just old folks scrolling past their channels like oh world of sport i remember that and then just um yeah, start it was, watching it was like it. a post boozer like uh, uh like sort of with your sat down with your takeaways sort of nostalgia trip for a lot of sort of uh, middle-aged folks yeah right yeah here. so yeah, like yeah. um so, which, which is great and a lot to be said for yeah that, absolutely yeah. and but like it was uh, and it did a legit 3000 sellout which was the um highest uh british wrestling crowd for fuck knows how long really like Genuinely, really impressive. The card is uh, uh, absolutely insane, featuring like several wrestlers who will go on to become megastars. We had we had this match. Uh, the main event was AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels for the TNA X Division Championship. We had Samoa Joe versus CM Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. Yeah, like fucking hell. And uh, a Ravens Rules match between Raven and the man who was um, really responsible for uh, putting a lot of this together, uh, Mr. Alexander Shane. So. Um, uh, Daniel, I assume you have a veritable bandolier of uh, sort of rounds in the chamber for, um, for about Mr. Shane. Let's let's rub the lamp and summon the panto genie. That is Alex Shane. I mean, yeah, like just an almost legendarily like arseholeish figure in, um, <laughs> in in the history of, of British. You know, there's some people where you kind of feel like, oh, well, you know, they were kind of. They were pushing the bat against the tide, or they were pushing boundaries at a time when you know things really needed to be sort of modernised and moved on. And yeah, you know, they might have put a few noses out a joint, but really, actually, you know, they were they, they, they had to do that at the time. And there's definitely at this period in British wrestling history, there was definitely the opportunity for someone to be remembered like that as a kind of necessary pusher of buttons, kind of like someone that really tried to sort of like you know rest um, British wrestling out of a, a particular sort of coma that it was in. Yeah, a disruptor, basically. A disruptor, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, um, I, I, I like Shane's just a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He really, Basically. really is. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, I mean, we've all, we've all, I'm sure we've all got like, a, a story. Just load up the UK fan forum. I'm sure there's still a million threads on, on it. But, like, I, li- I literally have done this right <laughs> I thought you might do, babes. I thought you'd be on that. Yeah. Oh, it's so uh, wonderful. I mean, we, we can't let this opportunity go by without discussing the time Alex Shane bribed a ring driver. I mean, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> Should we, should we give some background on just like the smallest of backgrounds on like the what what, what Alex Shane's contribution to, 
to this. Like as George says, like, you know, yeah, he was one of yeah. the brains behind this show, really, as far as I know. Yeah, a lot of the talent came from uh, what was the preeminent uh, British wrestling promotion at the time, which was a promotion called uh, FWA. Um, I don't know if you guys ever used to um, watch FWA. But I quite liked it, like on the wrestling channel. It had like pretty good production values by British wrestling standards at the time. They brought him some good for, uh, foreign talent, like uh, the Doug Williams' title reign where he'd be having kick-ass two, two out of three formats against like AJ oh, Styles, Eddie Guerrero, D'Lo Brown, like, uh, you know, yeah, and, like, good matches. Uh, uh, Doug Williams is, well, he was fucking, he was great, he's great in this match as well, but like, we'll get, we'll get on to, get on to talk Doug. about Williams in, uh, as we talk about this match, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, uh... and they did big crowds at York Hall and various venues, like often in excess of a thousand, really presenting what was uh, quite a contemporary product. Um, it wasn't just sort of holiday camp or tribute show stuff stuff it was really focused on work rate they brought in some like judiciously chosen imports uh, over like such as the aforementioned raven um trained their own guys they had a dojo down in portsmouth um and really seemed to be like a sort of solid foundation for the british wrestling scene to uh, to take off and you know it it, it went tits up eventually, but that was basically the state of things at the time. FWA were the main driving force in the sort of British indie scene outside the camp shows. You can still find some of their shows online. There's quite a lot of them on YouTube. Like, yeah, uh, I thought they were. Yeah, and like, like you say, it's important for people to remember, like, the, the state of British wrestling when when FWA was sort of began its rise. Because as much as we look back on it now, we kind of laugh and joke a little bit about it. You're, you're absolutely right. At the time, this, this did feel like it was at the cutting edge of what, of what was possible within British wrestling. And fair enough, that had its own self-imposed and external limitations on it just by the nature of what it was then. There wasn't the organic scene. There wasn't the the, um, the organic uh, uh, series of schools that had been set up to train people. There wasn't the uh, the, the British workers being having enough of an opportunity to go abroad um, and really get like excursions and tours wasn't the, uh, the the digital uh, boom that we'll see with uh, it, it, which affects I think the way that the work is done in another match we'll watch later on um, all these different factors meant that it was still very parochial at the time it really was like you know you had the, the world of sport tradition to draw on for heritage stuff but really wrestling with the camps it was American style wrestling uh, you know with uh, as seen on TV seen on TV it was a lot of that kind of stuff, really. You know, if you wanted to see, you know, me, me, me personally at the time before FWA and stuff, I was a huge wrestling fan, but like I would never really have thought really often to really go to a show, a British wrestling show. You know, it just wouldn't have been on my radar as something that would have been worthwhile going no. to see as a fan of the medium. You know, and uh, one thing I would, uh, one uh, piece of credit I would give to um, Alex Shane, which I love to do, but you know we have yeah. to. Um, I also remember at the time another really formative thing that people forgot about. Is, did you ever listen to the radio show on Talk Sport? Which one, George Galloway's yeah, yeah. or uh, the? <laughs> I know, but just before James Whale. Oh, James Whale! Oh my God! Nick Ferrari. Absolute shit houses I've just met. <laughs> I know. I mean, if somebody said to you nowadays, Alex Shane's hosting a show on Talk Sport, you'd be like, that sounds like the most awful thing in the world. But, but back um, then, yeah, he was probably the he was probably the most liberal man presenter on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like Alex Shane and uh, oh, I can't remember the other two that were on it, but uh, I think it was a rotating cast to be fair. But um, they had a two-hour wrestling radio show between about seven and nine p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, so like prime time Saturday night. Usually now that would be. I mean, for example, I listened to Talk Sport on the way home from Inverness last night because they were showing the Inverness. They were uh, showing the Everton Man City game. 
So we're listening to that, and then they had the, uh, the absolute mutants phoning in afterwards, saying about how West Ham drew two each with Bournemouth, so that means we're definitely making top six this year. Um, you know, those sort of people. But um, but yeah, so like, it's, it's mad to think that, like, what, 15 years ago, uh, 15, 20 years ago, that was devoted to, like, FWA and, and Alex Shane berating a child because he asked whether Ken Shamrock was returning to the WWE <laughs> and just bullying him on the air, just absolutely belittling this 10-year-old child. Um, uh. it, was, it was quite bizarre. But, um, yeah, that was, that, was a really, that was a big thing for me uh, growing up. That was a, um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in the podcast, but that, I used to listen to that every week, and that was where you got a lot of my, I got a lot of my wrestling knowledge when I was, I would have been more about 10, 11 at the time. I used to listen to it religiously every weekend, Saturday night, and, yeah, it was a big, huge thing, and it kind of, it, it, it definitely, I did a whole lot of things for FWA. It gave them a platform and kind of built that sort of fan base because yeah, it was, um, it was, it was really good at the time. I mean, I'm sure listening to it would be awful, but I, I should add that Alex Shane was like the promoter of FWA, so he basically was given a radio show to advertise his own product. Yeah, <laughs> I was... uh, to, to show you like the sort of the the zeitgeist um, of uh, the FWA at the time, I remember. Uh, Channel Four, uh, you know, you know how you get like early weekend morning television, and they'd have lots of weird programs. It would be like kids thing. It'd be like you know focusing on youth issues and things that kids like and all that. And remember, they had an episode dedicated to FWA. Uh, I would absolutely love to see that now, but I remember watching it when I was probably I got up at like seven fifteen a.m. Wow. to watch a program about the FWA on a Sunday morning um, on Channel Four. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it, it, like they, they really they, they did kind of they were in the uh, they, they were um, in the imagination of like, well, I think pretty much every British wrestling fan at yeah, that point knew who yeah. FWA were I, because even the, the usual WWF people would be listening to the radio show and hearing about it for that as opposed to not actively seeking it out but it's getting thrust upon them. I, I, mean, I mean, say what you will about Alex Shane is a like good marketer, good self promoter, um, maybe oh, yeah, oh, promoter, yeah. but like yeah. I mean, like, like I say this like uh, this was like real sort of. Um, big level stuff for the for the time they had uh they had like uh, you know vip packages that were sold there was a um there was actual like uh, official program um some of the adverts in it like someone um was got to advertise their fucking bootleg uh, dvds in the official program it's basically like if brother Moore had been given ad space in tokyo sports <laughs> to um <laughs> i i would <laughs> I would just like to. I brought up the UKFF Fred on on, um, on the, the notorious ring um, incident, and I just oh, yeah. seen a line which is from a review that just says, "Den Perry from Phoenix Knights, who was there if his family jumped on stage to do a little routine with Iceman." If that's not Brett Race, I don't know. Grado was there. He travelled down as a kid, like um, yeah. <laughs> like a really formative experience in in uh, in his life. Like it's. That's kind of, you know, that's like, that show is the way the ring didn't turn up. In many ways, is the Velvet Underground of Brit Best. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's totally like Sex Pistols, like, in their early formative gigs. Like, the capacity, the, the attendance of that was actually, like, 95,000. It's like, so it's Celtic and Seville for Brit Rest fans, uh, well, you know. It, every fan says to it, It's like the first, uh, the first White Stripes gig where, like, everyone who attended formed a band and they're all fucking shit. How dare you besmirch the good name of the Bon Bonnies? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so basically, uh, get, get, get in. I will defend the Turin breaks to my death. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, get, get in, get into the match now. So basically, um, uh, this is this is this is the notorious. Um, uh, I forget which promotion it was, but um, Misawa and Agawa had worked uh, of showing Carluk um, the week before, which had drawn less than a thousand. Like that was his this is, UK debut. I, I can. I can literally walk out my house, go on the bus, and end outside that arena. Do you know how how much like? Remember we had the the, the segment where we were like, oh, if you could travel back in time, where where would you go? We did that in the Christmas episode. I'd like to change it now to that show with Masawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, it's not a, like I had been to Carlock many times. Like it, it, it infuriates me, but yeah. I mean, you Carlick. could have, you could have brought a bigger crowd to Carlock made his introduction to British wrestling a better one and maybe he would have put some more fucking effort in this match <laughs> um, so basically well I, I started the video this this whole show's on YouTube by the way if you just type in uh, International Showdown um, I caught the back end of a uh, promo by Walking Dead enthusiast Phil Brooks don't know whatever happened to him and uh, then we get the entrance of the Noah Lads feature I hesitate to call it a I hesitate to call it a Jimmy Hart version of Spartan X because whoever composed <laughs> whoever quote unquote composed this has changed like four notes like yeah, that, that, that's right. it. It's like, I thought I was I thought I was having some really weird kind of like audio hallucination like coming down from MDMA like Uncanny Valley with my ear shit going on. Like because it, uh, it's yeah, almost is... correct. Yeah. It's almost a cover rather than like a sound alike version. It, it's like when you watch really bad YouTube videos, uh, like and someone has to like change the soundtrack they're using by just moving like the, the, the like the the, the like transposing it slightly so it's slower. D- David, can you can you yeah. please replace the real version of Spartan X on the intro with that if you can? Oh, you got it. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so powerful. Oh, I, I, it really is so powerful. Like, it was like, this is utter It's garbage. amazing. It's, uh, so basically, <laughs> it, it, it's very Brit though, isn't it? It's very like Spartan X. Like, uh, oh, I don't know if pro, pro wrestling Noah would give us the rights for us. You literally have the owner of pro wrestling. <laughs> you just ask him. <laughs> and it's his theme. It's his theme that you're. Yeah, it's like we'll we'll call it Spartan Y for the uh, for. They tried to ask him. He was, he was outside having a tab. So oh yeah, that's the other story about this show. Like someone who was in the queue, just uh, the the door opened as they were queuing to get in. It was just Masawa popping out for a sig, and then he sort of just smiled and went back inside. I, I had a similar experience yesterday in Vaness when new festival manager Ian McCall did the same to me because he was having this fag outside and went, "All right, how are you? I know that." Ah, great. That um, so. He fucking loves it, John. I'm sure he does. It. So basically, like, the, the Noah lads come out. Um, Tiger Emperor is uh, Kataro Suzuki, now of uh, Wrestle 1, I think, doing a sort of fairly short-lived, uh, one of the many, many Tiger Mask uh, rip-off gimmicks that they've been in. But uh, I think we'd already performed as Kataro Suzuki before this. Oh, yeah, the commentator yeah, does say what his that. name is later in the uh, show. And um, Miss... The boxer Luchas commission will have his head. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just absolutely El- revealing people's real names. El Phantasma is coming for him. Uh, basically, <laughs> like... Um, the uh, so basically, Miss Al comes out. Uh, Yoshinari Gao in some uh, Morpheus shades, and then the, boy. the yeah, it's so funny when they're introducing him just before they go. You just hear the guy in the background goes, "Rat boy!" <laughs> just some guy in the crowd. Just I fucking love that, By the way, he's awesome. I didn't notice that. That's really funny. Um, and basically, then what is referred to as the um. Uh, European team, hence the name is Viscount Scorpio. Um, why are they the European team? I got, I got, I got business with this classification. We'll come back to that. Uh, yeah, so uh... from Hanover, Germany to what? Scorpio. <laughs> okay, so let's just go there right now. Okay, right. 
So I was, I was so excited to see Scorpio. I'm always excited to see Scorpio. I'm never not excited to see Scorpio. I'm always happy. Now, I've watched a lot of Scorpio throughout, but I think 1995 might have been the best wrestler in the world. Um, oh, I, I, did I, have I missed something on the Hanover Germany thing? No, no, it's just like they, they just kept calling it, that was just David doing it a bit, they just kept calling them the European team. Like, Two Cold Scorpio is just like... The implication, like, was there a gimmick for the story for them? No, it, they it just the called them a European team, even though, like, Scorpio was like, well, he was half of the fucking Noah Tag Champions at the time, as was Doug Williams. So, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. In my head, I, was th- I had to manufacture a, um, an elaborate story for this. So I was thinking, you know... Dad, uh, that dad in the forces. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 I saw, but I, or he's just, you know how, like, um, maybe, um, what's it, what's her name, FWA? They've done a Vince McMahon, and you just hate all people being from US. You know, like the WWF did with Canada, yeah. where everyone was like from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, maybe they've just done that, but they just like don't want American names. So, like, CM Punk was actually from like, Luxembourg or something <laughs> on that earlier on in the in the video. But what, but what I don't get is that, like, obviously, like, it's not like Two Cold Scorpio is some fucking jobber. No, he's at this point he's already a legacy, like, all timer. Yeah, me. and he keep on wrestling for like another ten years as well. But like, yeah, you, you can't just be like, oh, here, here, oh, it's the Undertaker from you know Tirana. Like, it just <laughs> that, like, mate, that that's probably the only way you're gonna get David to like get into the Undertaker matches now. Um, yeah. So so basically, like, um, I mean, we'll also get to the living <laughs> in a concrete bunker. <laughs> oh, so so I, so, so basically, like, um, uh, uh, ring announcer uh, Mo Chatra, that's a blast from the past. Um, from Power Sports so Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> firstly, he he calls him uh, Mitsaru Misawa. Um, that that. Secondly, I I had this feeling, a strong feeling, a wrestling ring announcer saying the word Chichester is inherently weird. <laughs> what? Like, has it ever been anybody of notable sporting accomplishment that's came out of Chichester? That sounds like the first line of a Cody Rhodes promo. It's like uh, AEW <laughs> UK tour in two years. <laughs> his his dog frightened by the pyro just sitting there. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, so the the other guy that um on well, the other guys on the British rest uh, the European team should I say was uh, uh James Ty who was somewhat of a standout on uh, a lot of early FWA shows. He's very he, I think the thing that made, really made him with this um I don't know if it was a time limit draw against AJ Styles on a York Hall show or whether it was um but like he he was a sort of young guy he's only twenty three here um and he was like one of their sort of top prospects and very much the sort of uh, young gun in this match. And then um, uh, Doug Williams, who very recently retired, he's been around fucking ages. He was really like the one Brit rest guy in this time who had like gone abroad. He'd been in, oh, he was in the first ever ROH title match, actually. Yeah. Uh, he'd been an ROH pure champion at this point also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, yeah. Half yeah. of the GHC tag champions at the time of this show. He, he'd yeah, been all over he the world. Absolute best that we had at that at this point. Oh, absolutely! Like incredible worker. Um, but really, uh, I'm really good worker overall. Yeah, a, t- a two-time unified champion in my face. <laughs> I mean, he's been around. The world. He's got the he's got the whole gamut of, of uh, prestigious titles yeah. to call. And uh, Daniel, so but but as regards to his gimmick, Daniel, thoughts on uh, the gimmick <laughs> of the anarchist? If you could do so without saying anything that will get GCHQ on our case, that would very much help matters at this point. Oh, it's too late. They've already got my number. Uh, <laughs> If anything says to me, anarchist, living the gimmick, <laughs> it's uh, performing with uh, the Union Jack on the, uh, <laughs> Not 
nothing, nothing says libertarian communism, the fight against the justifiable hierarchy, and liberation of the working class than wearing the butcher's apron on your ass. <laughs> uh, absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, Antifa, we've made a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Doug, he had, he was actually fresh from frontline at the Battle of the Ebro here, um, and I mean, he was just fitting in a little sick man between visits to branches of the local communist party in the region to recruit for the international brigades. Uh, you know, that's all it was. It was just a little quick six man in between drumming up, uh, you know, uh, uh, money and arms for the cause. Um, but no, it's bizarre. Like, um, it's a bit like what do you call that number he wrestles in Rev Pro who's, who's an anarchist because he has a notebook? James Castle. James Castle. Um, James Castle. Yeah, you know, like. Um, I Roy Castle's feels. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the nearest I can. Um, I can kind of get to it is that I guess they're going for this kind of um, like uh, Derek Jarman Jubilee like sex pistol like God's yeah I guess so like I mean it's nothing to when Hayd Vance announced himself as a member of the Communist Party of Great Britain brackets Marxist Leninist indeed oh. um, so referee Steve Linsky the commentator says has been known to give the odd dubious decision was one of these decisions saying yes when Alex Shane asked him not to deliver a ring to John Farrer <laughs> <laughs> Steve Linsky, j'accuse. Who's the Irish guy in commentary? B is a guy called Eamon Darcy. I'm, I don't really know much about him. The, my first introduction to Eamon Darcy was that um, he says, um, possibly the least true statement that has ever been said by a commentator, which was, and it's the first time in over three decades that any Japanese wrestler has been here in the UK. So up until 1974. <laughs> How dare he forget Satoshi Kojima's one match in wrestle? That's not even a joke. He wrestled in Carnarvon, Wales. I, I went on his cage match. I knew he'd wrestled at least one match in the UK. Satoshi Kojima wrestled in wrestle. I mean, I mean we, we, did, will, we will be reviewing at some point. I'm out of self from remembering the, the Masawa match in Carlton the week before. Right? <laughs> I mean, we've literally done a whole episode on like Japanese wrestlers in the UK like within the past three decades. I had nominated a match from what nine from what nineteen ninety nine that was on national television featuring Grand Naniwa. You know, it's not like you know there was a sparsity of Japanese. No, and uh, the uh, the other commentator, uh, Dean uh, Dean Ayers, said um, that. Uh, he says there was, there, was, there was actually a tour, I think it was the Michinoku Pro uh, tour, if memory serves. Um, there was a 1996 tour, which seems at the very best a partial retraction of Eamon Darcy's statement. Um, <laughs> it's an entire tour, well, presumably, given it's Michinoku Pro Japanese wrestling. Yes, indeed. Yeah. What, also, Maybe it's only wrestlers from the mainland that it counts for. Or like Wellington Wilkins and like, <laughs> you know um, dirt bike kids and that was it. That was... I'm uh, I'm uh, I've also like picked up on I don't know which I think it might be Dean Ias uh, calls him uh, Mizawa at many points because like, I'm Mizawa and I'm awesome. You know what you can do about these pronunciations, George? You can you can do nothing and like <laughs> it. I think first mention of Alex Shane's uh, famous catchphrase on this episode, and I assume not the last. So uh, to get to get into the action, a uh, bit of like uh, nice chain wrestling to uh, start. There's some uh, by Tiger Emperor and James Ty. There's some drop kicks and some kip ups. Ty nearly stacks it doing the latter because like, um... <laughs> and then the commentator like draws attention to it. It's like, oh, he was too close to Tiger Emperor, so he didn't quite get all of it. Fair, to the commentator, I kind of thought he was trying to cover for him, which is why I think commentator. It's a fine line between not drawing attention. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Um, because I'll be honest, 
when I watched that first, he gets better a little, a little bit better in this match. Though, he but... does, but the start is a bit rough. I think he might be a bit overawed by the uh, occasion because he nearly fucking kills himself doing a corkscrew plancher. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that. I've just written down in my notes, Tiger ring positioning and execution is a worry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Daniel, he was trained by Mark Sloan. Mark Sloan, MD of Diagnosis Murder. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Dick uh, Van Dyke down in Portsmouth. The uh, the the other the other good line of co- <laughs> the other good line of commentary was uh, said they're going to pick on Tiger Emperor, which is code for the other two guys in this team don't feel like doing much tonight. <laughs> How not fucked is Misawa in this? Could match? not give like... a fuck. <laughs> right, it's incredible. <laughs> like um, they've uh, they've got um, so basically we do get um. Uh, well, Misawa versus Scorpio uh, quite early on in the match. I was like, yes, please, more of this. Exactly. And, uh, I think in dream match at this point. He, he can't even bring himself to, like, reciprocate Scorpio's little dance uh, that he does. Misawa, Misawa giving as much of a fuck about the people of Coventry as Sisu. <laughs> <laughs> giving, giving not much of a fuck, or as Coventry puts it, with an ice-cold, emotionless expression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the most effort Misawa puts in is like uh, is quite early on in the match where he does a series of devastating Judas effects in the corner to two gold Scorpio and then immediately goes to a headlock um. with his ice cold emotionless expression <laughs> I, I could probably sum up my two and a half years at my previous job as worked with an ice cold <laughs> emotionless expression under this basis I could sum up entire relationship <laughs> Could, could, could this become our code for like when someone is not putting any effort into a match? But this is this is an interesting thing though because like there is definitely a point in Sauer's um, in career and and, it, and I'd argue that obviously not in Japan at this point because you've still got I mean this is actually the sort of glory days of Noah really at this point. Then again, some of those six mans like you know some of those six mans he can he could very much just sit and smoke in the corner. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and, and there is this thing about Misawa where uh, a bit further on from this point, the years that come between now and obviously his timely death, um, there is this idea that you know it, he's gone from it's gone from because there's a real difference between the stoic kind of ace like tapping <laughs> Japanese cultural traditions in sports and like you know this notion of the fighting spirit and all that kind of stuff, and then just not giving a fuck. <laughs> Uh, it, it can be quite a fine line. Here it's not a fine line. <laughs> At one point later on in the match, there's literally a, a pin that's going on in the middle of the ring. And he's literally, <laughs> both him and Oganawa are standing outside the ring, like, not even on the apron. Like, just casually went it to 2.9 and then they just sort of put the hand in and pull them up. It's, it's absolutely preposterous. I would say, like, like picture the scene. How fucked would you be if somebody said to you, hey, Misawa, we're doing a tour, we're going to the UK, and he's like, oh, the UK, wow. Fish and chips, mug of tea, Tower Bridge. Where are we going? Kaluk and Coventry. <laughs> I don't get like that fucked either. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe, oh, he's, maybe he's really into two tone music. Maybe he's really into religious like hatred. <laughs> and that's why he Kaluk. <laughs> maybe he just loves a flute band. That's it. <laughs> and basically, so um, Agawa. Does a, does a bit of rope running, gets super kicked, that was good. Uh, hits some road dog punches for some reason. Um, and basically, there's a sequence where uh, they do some good technical stuff for Gower and Doug Williams. Uh, nice little bit where Gower's trying to escape some cravats. At this point, the commentator says that Williams knows his judo well. Um, <laughs> it's a. Shoot, I can't remember. Uh, what, Williams being like an Olympic judo hopeful? I'm not actually sure. Like, um, 
I, I believe he does have a tuna bagger. I don't know if he was you know, on the plane to Barcelona <laughs> when somebody ran on going, no, we don't have the funding. But, um, yeah, like, Basically, uh, to do you know what like, uh, Takashi Sugiura is to um, uh, Olympic wrestling or um, uh, Yuji Nagata, I think, all, almost made the Olympics as well. Alberto Del Rio. Yeah. He was going. He was going to the Pan American Games, but, but they couldn't get in, the funding. In nineteen seventy-two, he's a millionaire. Chris Adams being the the the, yeah. the 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 example of obviously from British wrestling of someone that actually did have a fairly legitimate um, martial arts background and parlayed it into a, a pro career. I'm pretty sure that Chris Adams could have been probably. I don't know if about Olympic level, but I think he would have, he would have been at a pretty high level of judo. I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the spirit of Chris Adams was flowing for this match because Misawa couldn't give a fuck and was a bit of a prick. So um, <laughs> and there was um, there was a lot of super kicks as well. Uh, so um, yeah, there's like a uh, sort of. Scorpio, Scorpio is very smooth in this match. Like uh, he tags into face Tiger Emperor, and there's a in between checking Bundesliga updates for his beloved Hanover. <laughs> there's a uh, lovely head scissor takeover and a suplex. The comment, the commentary uh, mention, I fucking pop for this that uh, Scorpio wrestled at the highest attended wrestling show in the world in Pyongyang, North Korea, in 1995. 170,000 people in attendance. It, every time someone mentions that the attendance gets higher, it's like Hulk Hogan of literally any show ever. Are you suggesting the North Korean uh, government might have, <laughs> might have been untruthful, David? No, we must... Oh, Jushi, guys! We must believe in the power of Jushi. Those lads in like, Cumbria who have a, uh, the UK branch in North Korean Communist Party will not be happy <laughs> if we um, at, the, at this point, like, uh, James Ty comes back in and sort of settles down. Actually, he does... Probably my favourite t- uh, hot tag of the match, where Ty just comes in and pretty much gets immediately spinning back kicked by Tiger Emperor. That's that's really good. So um, Mizawa comes in and does uh, some forearms to the back, and then uh, decides to like well, I've, I've done two moves in a row. Time for a little sit down. So he does a camel clutch. And um... oh, you know, but I would say fair cre- f- full credit to Mizawa. He did a forward roll <laughs> over Ty. Like because I, I when it, in this match when I seen it as a Mizawa that. And against James Ty, a young rookie, I went, oh, Miss Alice, you're going to take liberties. I am here for this. And then he didn't. And I was like, oh, Yeah, I was going to say, you at least one like him being a lazy cunt in like an entertaining way. Um, oh, it was great for James Ty. He wasn't going to get his yeah. head fucking decapitated S- off a tiger. In, in case you've not already got that expression, this is not quite the Miss Al performance we saw in our first episode. Um, <laughs> It's not even the Misawa performance in that match of Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the good and the bad of Misawa on this uh, podcast for sure. Um, there is a the, the Misawa and Agar get their get their signature uh, double teams in, which is uh, kind of ni- nice to see. Um, there's uh, some good uh, chop fests between uh, James Ty and uh, and Agawa. Um, I we get like a, a lovely flipping sent on from uh, Tiger Emperor as well. He's basically doing the old Tiger Mask shit that like Misawa can no longer be fucked to do. Um. Uh, he's, that's why he's there because like the clearly someone in, in the wrestling channel was I really love Tiger Mask too. Misawa, can you do you want to be Tiger Mask too? And he's like no, but I, I've I've got a guy in the back. Uh, I've got a guy. Guy, a guy in my attic that I can just pull out and he can just do all the moves that I used to do and can't be fucked doing uh, before I was on 80 a day. The, the, there's some like there's some very good um, stuff from Scorpio with the uh, he, he does the um, uh, somersault leg drop uh, which I think is the move he was trying to do when he accidentally invented the 450 splash because you can imagine that yeah he basically, basically two gold Scorpio invented the 450 by being too awesome at flips like he was going for the uh, somersault leg drop and he went over a bit too far and he was like 
Oh, cool. Well, I've invented that, have I? Good. Um, I mean, one person I'll be kind of single is Doug Williams in this match. I love he's, the early sequences with Ogawa and Emperor. They were so, so good. He's brilliant. Like, uh, like, um, yes, everything looks crisp. Everything looks tight. Like, I, I saw, I saw yeah. a few years ago, I saw two Doug Williams matches in the space of a month. I saw him in Rev Pro where he wrestled Colt Cabana where they had like a nice 19... 19- uh, it had like that, the sort of 1970s style sort of British like technical match, and then I saw him in ICW where the crowd just chanted "You fat bastard" at him. I remember, I remember being really excited to see Doug Williams. I'm like, yeah, Doug Williams in ICW, and then I remembered that like ICW fans are just fucking pondly. <laughs> like, oh, oh, they really are. The uh, the gut wrench suplex uh, that Williams hits on Miss Hour. In the, nice, nice to take a bump, mate. Thanks for coming. Uh, this is actually after the possibly the most work Miss Hour does in the um, match when he uh, hits a body slam and a uh, sent on to Scorpio, and then he does the. He does the the body splash off the top rope when like Natsuko Natsuko Toru in Stardom uh, does it like this because I don't I don't get the sense like she's a good wrestler I don't get the sense she's especially aerodynamic but like is the is the top rope splash where they don't like go forward at all they just drop like a stone off the top rope <laughs> um, so I I quite like that I'm a I'm a mark for uh, there's so many amazing wrestlers who like. For some reason, have a not that good top rope splash as part of their moveset. Like Mako Satomura is another one. Yeah, <laughs> like she doesn't really need to do it. Um, we got a um, uh, a, a girl does a, uh, what is called a DDT from out of nowhere on commentary, which uh, would presumably be the ultimate vintage Orton. Um, and uh, tie, ties back in uh, now with a crossbody and a diving elbow. A girl posts himself and. Uh, Ty does a very nice looking moonsault. I wonder if he ever hit it. It's very like it looks like the Kurt Angle moonsault with like a perfect arc. Like I I, I very much enjoy the bit where Ty can't get a handle on uh, Tiger Emperor because he just keeps doing handstands of like uh, various stripes. That was uh, really good. J- Jim's Ty is bleeding at some point uh, after he hits the side effect. Um, the side, hit the side effect. effect, and then hits a um, and then kind of out of nowhere because like Ty was sort of. Like we said, maybe a bit overall by the occasion, not really given a chance to sign. And he hits a fucking cross-legged brainbuster on uh, Tiger Emperor. That's like some shit Mike Quackenbush would invent. And then the this is very much the I I loved like you know when you can see the joins in a match like the psychology. He hits the cross-legged brainbuster and Scorpio hits a top rope moonsault. Williams hits the uh, the uh, top rope knee drop. And uh, this is just after they've like knocked Miss Hour and Agar off the apron as well. And like even the commentary said, oh they're going for the finish. It's like, okay, this is the bit, this is the, they've clearly signaled to you, this is the part of the match where everyone's hitting finishes, and, uh... Yeah, and to give them credit, and when I say them, I mean everyone except Miss Hour. <laughs> they do actually begin to up, 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 up the, 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 I mean, the, the Williams has been working his ass all the way through the match, but, the, and, you know, Tiger's been trying, but he's a bit lost. But, like, things do pick up um, a little bit at the end, and yeah, there is a marked improvement in the quality of stuff and the tension by the end of this. I'll, I'll S- sadly, it's only for, like, the last two or three minutes. But, I, I, know, um, I know, I know. There's, I know, a, exactly. there's a very good, yeah. spot, like, wonderful Liger Bomb for two by Williams, and then in a spot that, like, absolutely amazed me, uh, he countered a... Uh, Williams countered a, a handspring elbow by Tiger Emperor into a bridging German suplex. Not a German suplex where he just picks them up and fucks them over. Like, he caught that man in midair and managed to like keep the bridge on after it like so ridiculous version of that I've ever seen like just I've, I've, uh, I've never super. seen anyone do that better that spot yeah I uh, I also love there was a very funny bit like after this where um, Tiger Emperor does a uh, well basically a west coast pop and then the count gets broken and then however much these uh, fans like 
maybe have pretensions to being like, oh, you know, this is our jam. We're not into that WWE stuff. But th- probably the biggest pop for any movie in the match is for the 619 that um, <laughs> Tiger Emperor does. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's very good. And um, then we get to the end as ends maybe a little bit anticlimactic, whereas. Uh, Tiger Emperor hits a top rope crossbody and Williams rolls through and uh, then ends up hitting a Chaos Theory. For th- Chaos Theory is fucking great, by the way. I was in, I saw Chad Gable do that to Shane McMahon. Oh, he did as well, yeah. Yeah, fuck, fucking Chaos Theory. Like I, like it's it's a great move and like it's such a good when move. it when it looks like this and like they just sort of it looks very smooth. They're sort of rolling through very fluidly. Like it is, it can look contrived. If uh, if you don't do it that well, but um, like Doug Williams, like what what can I say? He's the man. Very de- very deserved uh, win for him, uh, both in kayfabe and in terms of like his general like goodness in this match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and also just like you know, it's worth saying that like um, he it, it's I, I think maybe a lot of people that I mean obviously American fans on the like, American independent fans and stuff because he was he was very um, important in the in the, the start at the start of Ring of Honor as well and stuff like you mentioned yeah. you know but like even then. I think probably like his influence on British wrestling is massive. Like you know, like like we said, like he was the absolute best, and it wasn't very close to be honest between him and anyone else. Yeah. Was it George that told me that I think it's the UKFF used to do the UK top fifty, and then he done like, a top ten worst one, and he put Doug Williams as the number one worst one because he said he is number one on every top fifty UK wrestling list that anybody ever does. So we're just putting him in the number one. And, and, and so the guy who finished second couldn't even say he was the best at being a yeah. shit ass. Yeah, and that's a great compliment, actually, you know. Uh, it, it genuinely is. Like, you know, he was he, he, he was that, at his best, he was that good. And yeah, what you're saying about Chaos Theory is absolutely right. I remember the first time I saw him do that and it was in, and it was in ROH. It was in that famous main event with the, uh, the, um, um, the, with the, the three-way match, um, I think. And like, I remember thinking, that looks fucking incredible. Like, you know, I think I got the tape from uh, the famous uh, uh, man who now uh, promotes in Manchester uh, who has no legs behind the counter. First episode, folks. Listen to that one again. Oh, that is Legacy Puri Puri Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Or No Legacy. Uh, (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, that's right. I'm back, bitches. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Um, Yeah, like, that is... I mean, that that match was... Yeah, I, I was enjoyable. Like, it was just enjoyable. I think enjoyable less as a match. And more as a sort of cultural artifact. I think it's similar to when you go to your first ever New Japan UK show. You know it's going to be T-shirt Naito. <laughs> you know, and you know it's going to be like a six-man with like chaos and like you know, um, just like Hiroki Goto and all that. And but it's not going to be number one match of the year list for most people. But it's just kind of being there and having this there and all that is kind of yeah, it's a cultural thing. It's not necessarily about how good the match is. It's just about them being. There. This match is Miss Miss in This match has actually given me newfound appreciation for T-shirt Naito. <laughs> like by comparison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, give me Okada versus Joel Redman fifteen times. All <laughs> <laughs> Japan's Joel Redman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, that that was. Uh, that, I mean, that match was okay. Like, I, I would recommend just going out of your way to watch this show just as a snapshot of the time. Uh, and really, like we said, a false dawn for. Uh, British wrestling, which really, I think, in terms of business, the latter half of the 2000s, it kind of did hit the skids once again. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, uh, yeah, I think, because at that point, it was just a case of, I think this was, was there not another big show? I think the, the, the Out of Weight show was in, like, 2006, 2007. They were sort of... The, the, yeah. The, 
they were the, they were the big ones. They were the sort of that was the the peak, and then it all just kind of fell off after that. The thing about this show as well though is that it kind of put the motions in place for companies to come over. So you start getting like this show. Without this show, you're not getting your royal quests. You're not getting, you know, your your stardoms at Wrestle Queendoms or anything like that. Because this was the first show that really brought over these people. It showed that there was an appetite to see yeah. them. And then that led to your ROHs coming over. And then the NOAA European Navigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one Mark's line put together, yeah. Uh, there was a follow-up. And then Dragon Gate. Of course, yeah. in Boxman. There was a follow-up to International Showdown, actually, which uh, didn't draw nearly as well. And that was on a card which had Mick, appearances by Mick Foley, The Sandman, and Kenta Kabashi. Um, so like that's sort of a bit less well known, but like there was a follow up. But did Kibashi actually work that match? Uh, I think he did, yeah. My my friend went to see uh one of the European navigation shows in two thousand and seven, where the main event uh did have Misawa and Kibashi on opposite sides of a tag match. I mean they did fuck all, and like they had uh, I think Marafuji and Shiazaki in there with them, so they did most of the uh of the work. But like that was in Coventry as well, actually. I don't think it was the Sky Dome. But, like, I would have, re- I'm really sad that I wasn't into, like, well, certainly maybe not old enough to have gone to something like this, but also not really into British indie wrestling round about this time, because, like, there was some really good stuff. Um, well, you, I mean, you talk about that match, but see the match you had the week before in an Orton George and Lark Call, it was even better. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, like, this, this, yeah, they, they, you, this is a very important cultural thing. For Brit, for Brit Rest, all the, the shows of people coming over, all the imports you get now, can be basically tracked back to this. Because even the Dragon Gate ones and all that, that kind of, you know, they were real popular. Well, they were all done by Mark Sloan as well. Like, yeah. they are, um, yeah, this this is a, a, a very important yeah. show. Good, good at medicine, good at detecting, yeah. good at wrestling. <laughs> So, um, so basically, the I guess the Super Show torch, if you like, ended up being passed to uh, a person called uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling in uh, sort of well, based mostly on the South Coast, but they would run York Hall uh, a few times a year. Starting in I think 2013 was their first Super Card they predicted. You had sort of um, basically it was an offshoot of, uh, to the best of my knowledge, IPW UK, who had done things like they brought over Takeshi Morishima and bafflingly booked him to go 30 minutes with Dave Mastiff, which was maybe not the best use of uh, of uh, both men. But Jesus, how many insulin pens did you go <laughs> Fucking <in that> hell! <laughs> Jesus, man. Time um, watch a 30 minute draw with fucking Dave Mastiff. Instead of smelling salts, they just used beef. <laughs> Just the scent of ground beef. Revolution Pro Wrestling in London. They really uh, made a splash because of their partnership with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, and this match sort of arises from that partnership. Now, one of the main criticisms of Rev Pro has been their over-reliance on imports to the exclusion of uh, British wrestling talent. So to this end, we've decided to review a match between two foreigners. Um, so uh, this match comes from uh, 2nd of October 2015. It is a rematch of the 2015 Best of the Super Juniors final between Kushida and Carl. Uh, so, um, oh, this, this, I had a look at this card on um, uh, Cage Match. Man, do you remember when Rev Pro was good? Like, do you remember that? Well, so I, well yeah. I, we were at this. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've reviewed a match for the podcast that any of us actually attended in person. What do you mean? I was at that Nick Boffin <laughs> called Billy Robinson. <laughs> that was the exact joke I was going to make. I'm really glad you beat me to it. Oh, uh, man. Uh, yeah, the, the card had, well, like, numerous... Uh, uh, great stuff. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Um, well, Damo versus Shinsuke Nakamura. That was just there. 
remember like what? I remember, that's such a weird. I remember Damon Lee fucking dying on a uh, on a backdrop driver. Um, but not but I, well that, <laughs> that I don't think that's what it was it was intended, but that's what it became. Um, we Shah Samuel's pinned Satoshi Kojima. Wrestle Ace is Satoshi Kojima. <laughs> Oreg Williams is chosen boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Shah Samuels is now the linear uh, wrestler champion. <laughs> um, and the main event was well, one of the still one of the best matches I've seen live. A uh, three way between AJ Styles, Will Ospreay, and Marty Skull back when Marty Skull was good. Uh, which uh, oh, really... right? No, I, I always get this confused. So that was the same show. Okay, so this Kyle Riley and Kushida match came on. Just before friend of the podcast Rob got like, pushed me over the edge from being just merely utterly hammered, <laughs> being, like properly blackout, fell asleep in the Dundee Arms afterwards, uh, drunk, like, um, and therefore I do not remember much of the vaunted uh, famous main event. But this is uh, about the, the, the Jimmy Havoc versus John Bottom in a hardcore match, you know? On the same card. Yes, yes, yeah, well, 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 do you think there's anyone out there who did the same at 6394? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who like totally blacked out during the Kibashi tag. Salary man who had like the morning off for the first time in a year <laughs> the next day and was like, I'll have an extra few. <laughs> Taiwan on. Um, before the greatest match of all time. It's, it's like there's a guy from my school who got uh like when Green Day played the played the Milton Keynes Bowl in two thousand and five, like hundred thousand people there got chucked out for crowd surfing during the support acts. It's basically the equivalent to that. Um, kind of I know somebody who did that with Slayer. Somebody did that with Slayer, but the funny thing was is his girlfriend couldn't make it, so he had a spare ticket in his pocket, so he got chucked out and then just went around the front and gave the other ticket and get back in. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so, um, I mean, looking at this, um, uh, Rev Pro Production looks better in 2015 than it does now. Probably because they've actually, <laughs> really they've actually cleaned the lenses on the camera, for one thing. We've also <laughs> got... Um, uh, so the guy on commentary, we've got Andy Boy Simmons on colour and uh, Ollie Bennett on play-by-play, uh, uh, -play, who was <laughs> also at the time was a Lawn Bowls commentator for the BBC. <laughs> Lawn Bowls is probably... That's, that's, what I, that's what I want as my wrestling commentator. I just want Bowls commentators and snooker. I don't want, like, you know, people screaming in my ear. I want people who cannot raise their voice beyond, like, you know, ambient um, volume. Yeah, Lord Bowles is the opposite of pro wrestling, I think, in uh, in many ways. Sounds like he should he should be presenting, like, documentaries that used to be on at 5am in the morning on BBC2 before even educational content that were on, like, the history of, like, you know, like, um, uh, the, the, what are those things called? Um, uh, the, the, like, the test cards. Like, uh, yeah, you know, like, or something like that, like, or commentating about, or like, 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 uh, talking about like old uh, sort of like uh, melee based, uh, like, war gaming, like, or something from the 60s. <laughs> I, I just wanted I to want test card, and it's just uh, uh, Josh Bone beating up a ref. Yeah, oh, god, <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, that, that's that's one event I have kept up with in a, in a yes, yeah, so, oh, uh, you may also know Rev Pro from a rampant uh, assault of uh, innocent referees. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, there. Josh uh, Josh Bodum has finally got cancelled. It's been coming. We uh, uh, wasn't we, he we've seen favorite it. wrestler? Who? Like, wasn't he like Pete Hitchcock's favorite wrestler? No. Yes, we were talking. We were talking about this. It was because I I went to the J Cup with the actually this ties in really perfectly because it was a Kushida Kyle O'Reilly rematch on that as well, and we went and I sat. Ah, the J Cup. Yeah. It was Jushin Liger 
versus Josh Bodum, and Josh Bodum get beaten two minutes, and I just said, get it right fucking up there! Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was so happy. I think there were a lot of people who were basically, like, uh, fans of his, but, like, maybe... I mean, I mean, Josh Bowen being somewhat of a loose cannon. I mean, we've all heard the stories about him uh, uh, getting chucked off an All Japan tour after one show for like getting drunk and super kicking a window. <laughs> yeah, and the the, the, uh, the Rampage Brown video circulated after that happened. Did you see that? Yeah, when it was like basically what, what very heavily implied Josh Bodum had basically got stiffed the fuck out of in a PZ show, basically just there's, 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 there's video footage of it. Uh, it, it. It was on the show. Like, um, yeah, 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 so Josh Bodum basically been racist. Yeah, and, uh, yeah he, I think the word that Rampage Brown's very, get this, this sense, he's, he's, he's quite a, a, a well-mannered sort of uh, yeah, yeah. diplomatic fellow. But, uh, like, uh, Rampage Brown has that classic thing of a man that doesn't need to throw his weight around verbally or physically to sort of, like, you know, he just, he just, he's tough. Like, he looks hard, and he, you know, yeah. he doesn't need to raise his voice or anything. But in the video clip, for those that haven't seen it, he, yeah, he very heavily implies that there's some serious, sort of, like, not just, like, disrespect, but quite offensive words were said on the part of Josh, Josh Bodum. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Rampage Brown, who um, uh, is, is an all-round decent from everything that I've heard, just absolutely clad him in a match just to teach him a lesson, uh, and everyone cheered. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's I, I've, I've heard some takes on it saying, like, um, you're, well, you know, you're only sort of celebrating that because it's Josh Burnham. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I like Rampage don't... Brown, so it's you know, yeah. two, do, two. Do you try telling that to Adrian Street. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so basically, like, the, the story of this match is, um, I mean, Daniel, you're on record, well, certainly on record in the DMs, as saying, like, this is one of the best matches you've attended in person. Yeah, yeah, but it's a weird one, this, because, like, um, I've got loads to say about this match, so I'll, I'll, try, I'll, I'll try and get it all out and just interrupt me at any point that you want to, I suppose, because, um, yeah, I've got a lot of feelings about this match. Um, so, at the time... I remember um, this was a weird time for because I'd started going to Rev Pro, like you mentioned. Uh, uh, round about their first big super show that I remember was uh, uh, then Prince Devitt um, up against Jushin Liger in the main event. Um, and um, 2012 ish, I want to say, 2011 ish, maybe even. Um, and then after that, the, the next one after that would have been uh, the one where I felt like the, the buzz really began to start, which when they when they booked Tanahashi. Um, and yeah, then, I really I think, regret not going to that because I did see about it, and then that was the first time I'd heard of Rev Pro. I was like, this looks a good car, but I didn't go. Because at that time, I'd, um, I'd had a bit of a break from wrestling for a little bit, and I was in a really rough place in my life, and I, I'd just gotten back into it in the most enormous possible way you could imagine, and it seemed like everything was coming together. There was this British scene that was just beginning to kick off a little bit, um, the the streaming services were nascent, but like you know, this digital huge digital footage boom of like feds getting their own like YouTube channels and stuff, and hosting videos on websites and things, mass sharing and stuff. There was a real buzz going, and New Japan um, was the company to watch at that point. You know, really, and, uh, it, it all stemmed from I got back into wrestling and I thought, right, well, what what what's Melt to say is good and that kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was off the back of Tanahashi. And Suzuki having their uh, their 2012 uh, match. Uh, that, that match. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it's a great match. Um, and uh, so I was I was just a real mark for like you know the new Japan product at that time and stuff. Seems like it seems so close, but so long ago at the same time. All this. Um, and yeah, it's not I, even four years. Yeah, it's mental. Like, and uh, I um I got just really really excited when I uh, 
when I, when I saw that Tanahashi had been booked. I didn't know too much about Rev Pro, but I knew that I had to be at that show purely because Tanahashi was on it. Uh, right. Um, and I went I, I went down to the show, and that was the show when they began to uh, tease the next import that was going to come, you know? Um, and I think at that show, they teased, I don't know if they remember if it was Nakamura or Okada. I think it was Okada, because Okada came next, and then they booked Nakamura. Um, and I just remember having this like huge sort of buzz around the crowd. And this was before I'd really had a, developed a bit more of a critical attitude to the wrestling business as a, as a whole. Um, I was so kind of flush with being back into it again. I hadn't really thought about you know the the diminishing returns of having a company that's reliant on imports to that extent. I was just excited by it all, you know. Um, this period, however, that we're at. This for me is both the peak of me being excited by this kind of thing, these kind of rev pro bookings, and also kind of. And there's something about the atmosphere of this match when I watch it refracted through video, where I remember being in the crowd for the... And I was like, I was fucking hammered at this show. I didn't make much of a difference. But I remember around the, the time going to these shows thinking, there's something about the atmosphere that was beginning to change at these shows. And it, it went... And this is the result of this kind of booking, I think. Especially this match, which is a match where they had the best of the Super Juniors match, which I thought was fantastic and one of my matches of the year. And I remember being really excited for this match and loving it at the time. But when I watch it back, actually, it's a little bit diminished. And I think part of it is to do with the atmosphere. I've spoken about this a lot on the podcast. It, the atmosphere it shows was beginning to go from this organic kind of buzz and hubbub that you get in the audience, very organic reactions, um, to being kind of... Um, uh, an expectation uh, that you were looking for certain spots from certain workers. And this is the plague of all wrestling crowds in, in, in modernity. Um, and there's this lull between big expected spots where they're going through the things that you've already seen in the Super Juniors match, where things, it's almost like we get this in City matches now, you know, where uh, the real fans have been priced out to go to the game, so you get an awful lot of people out there just to you know, entertain me, you know? Like, entertain me. I'm not really here to support them. I'm here to be entertained. Like, you know, and there's... And it, it, it's an odd match to watch this because at the time I was really enthusiastic. I was really into it. Watching it back on video again, there's something actually lacking a little bit. I feel from my. I felt the exact same way. This is why I never want to reread 100 Years of Solitude, which is my favourite book when I was 17, and I don't want to reread it just in case it's not as good. Well, this is um, like I think one thing that we can maybe also factor into this is that when I, I'll, I'll be honest, when I was watching this. I went on a cage match and I looked to see if there was a runtime, see how long it was, or before I, I watched it. And Kushida and Kelly O'Reilly have went round the houses with this match, like Rev Pro, ROH, New Japan, various other places. They have absolutely ripped the arse out this match like in terms of they've done at least two best of Super Juniors, they've done at least two or three Rev Pro matches, they've done it in ROH, they started doing it in NXT, like they. They, they've done a lot of these, and they're all very good. I'm not, you know, I don't want anybody saying that, because I remember the, the final being really good. I remember them having a really, really good match before, and then this one, and then the one I went to, because I went to the one at the J-Cup, and then um, they're all really good, but as well as that, they've all kind of blended, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I think the... The uniqueness of them has kind of been diluted a bit. I think the one that, I mean, the one that stands out most to me is the Best of the Super Juniors, simply because of its length, and it was that rare beast, like a 30-minute New Japan main event, where it actually felt like they filled the time. Um, mm -hmm. Like, that that's something to be a treasure, particularly in the light of, like, however many fucking, like, 30-plus-minute New Japan main events you have nowadays. 
at the time it was quite unusual. Move forward to Akada Sanada chapter <laughs> 42. It's going to be like 84 minutes long. And it's, oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, so, but, so, yeah, basically, like, this is... Uh, well, it can be described as a, a technical match. I think one thing I... One thing I found with this match as well, watching it, I really liked. Uh, I really liked it. Like I said, I remember liking it a lot more in person at the time. Maybe it's because my tastes have changed. But a uh, lot of counter wrestling. So counters upon counters upon counters. Now, the, I think there's something I'm finding increasingly enervating in uh, indie wrestling is, it's basically it's, you know, so someone will hit a move, and then um, the reaction they get from the crowd is oh. Like, it's just a big hit, you know. Then the other guy does one. Like, there's not very much in the way of long-term selling. It's very much a uh, tit-for-tat sort of thing. And I don't know, I would much rather there be, uh, like, a sort of story being told in terms of, like, shifts of momentum rather than it feeling a little bit, almost a little bit like a beat-em-up, like a video game, you know what I mean? Hmm. I I would say as well, in terms of, like, with the counter-wrestling and things like that, I think something has to be said for... In 2015, that's 2015, wasn't it, yeah? Uh, yes. I think at that point, I mean, you look at the landscape in terms of how, you know, in terms of what uh, what was going on. Like, the, the WWE product, uh, like TNA and, like, New Japan and things like that, You, you nobody was doing these sort of technical counterfests. ROH, even to a degree, had kind of went from the 2006 peak and then came back down, and I actually remember this time, wasn't this around about the time they were like having Matt Hardy and the fucking headbangers and stuff <laughs> like that? Like, they had, they had kind of fallen off the cliff, and they were not doing these sort of things either, and it, it kind of went away for so long that them doing this at that point was kind of like, oh, that's that's really cool, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, people were saying, that's something a bit different, but now we're at the point where you've got your blood sport and your Titsujin matches, and, you know, every, and Zack Sabre Jr., and all of these different people doing all doing this to varying degrees that weren't necessarily as as um, you know in focus in 2015. Where, for example, in 2015, if I saw a Zack Sabre Jr. match, I would be like, "Fuck me, that was amazing." Whereas now, I love Zack Sabre Jr. He's probably top three workers and all that. But you know what you're getting with Zack Sabre Jr. match. You know the, the spots that you're going to get and things like that. Whereas I think if you watch this live in 2015, you've, you've not had four years of exposure to this style that you would necessarily have had before. Like, you wouldn't have had... You, they weren't doing these sort of matches in 2011, so to speak, in terms of un, un prominent matches. Does that make sense? you know what I mean? completely agree. And I think one of the things as well that um, is interesting for me is that this was coinciding with a time when I was... I mean, I still am really... Where my my concern, my shift in focus in my wrestling fandom was uh, being like, right, okay, I've gone back into wrestling in a massive way, and I'm now realizing that not only is there all this new stuff, but the, the footage boom in terms of old stuff is just it's just it's, it's enormous, it's immense. Yeah. I was like, at this point, honestly, every waking hour of my life that I had at that point uh, was dedicated to watching as much wrestling as I could from every single different time period I possibly could find. Um, yeah. And you know, I was beginning to find more stuff that uh, you know I could go to for this kind of thing, but I hadn't quite you know got my fill. The other thing would be at this time, I have to get the dates completely right, but this I think would have been also about the same time that you would get something that was a slightly different focus of that, which would have been the grapple hook thing with Evolve and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that kind of stuff, um, which I think um, is the kind of stuff that when we look back on it, 
in terms of like you know technical kind of like a hold for hold wrestling that's the stuff that i think in i mean this, this probably can't, could be controversial i think some of that will hold up a little bit better maybe because it will have a kind of universal kind of timelessness i think that maybe this kind of stuff won't yeah i think so the other thing i'd yeah. say about this match actually is like it's a lot less map based than i remember like it, yeah, it feel, i had this I weird like i basically had this uh sort of idea in my head that it was basically like a angle versus benoit from wrestlemania 17 it was like sort of grappling on the mat grappling on the mat grappling on the mat and actually what it was was a, a sort of compressed version of their best of the super juniors final really in terms of its uh of its style i mean my favorite parts of the match was the technical stuff at the start where the, the sort of feeling out pressure of basically mm. doing the Inoki spot on their on their backs, uh, O'Reilly cartwheeling into a front chancery like Gator rolls, doing the amateur wrestling helicopter thing, um, the Clive Myers spot, you know, that sort of uh, that sort of stuff. Um, that's I'm uh, so glad Clive Myers is getting mentioned on the podcast. I'll yeah, that's my favourite uh, stuff. <laughs> In this match, and actually rolling from the, uh, you know, the Clive Myers test of strength thing, albeit at the second attempt, into a Kimura with a body scissors, like, uh, like that's 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 the counter wrestling I yeah. want, you know, uh, counters on the mat, the sort of uh, like if you watch a Mike Quackenbush match, um, it's basically like technical stuff and ho- holds and escapes, like that's the sort of stuff, and I'm sure these two could have done that, but equally, I don't think. Um, Maybe the crowd would have gone for a match of that type without the without the big hits and phone. If you got a place, you audience in that. I mean, I think it's not even so much of a criticism as it is just an observation of what, like you said, about how our tastes yeah. have changed, how we've been exposed to different things, how it's been a process of of us as fans. Yeah, you know, as much as anything. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, it does bring up an interesting debate about all the stuff that we watch now or certainly in the last say two years or, or two or three years or whatever how like is that going to hold up in a couple of years because realistically there's stuff that you watch in like 2014-15 now that you'd be a bit like eh. like are those vaunted matches that we all talked about in the last year or two in a couple of years are we are we going to love them as much as we did like it's it, it, I, I, it, it's certainly an interesting point of thinking of you know great matches are great right but you can have a great match that in two or three years you're kind of like, oh, that was good. I remember that. I really enjoyed that. But an absolute timeless match, one that you can watch at any point. Are, are we getting those matches? Like, I, I, like, I look at the... And I know your answer, Daniel, when I say this, but like the Omega Akada matches were clearly incredible, right? Like at, at the time, they were incredible and all that. I feel that... Like something like that, not necessarily that, but I mean, a, a lot of stuff you'll find it, certainly a lot of the Fontaine New Japan stuff, in a couple of years you'll probably find that that might not be as, if people might not be as high on it as it would be at the time, and I think, I, I don't know what it is, but I think yeah. it's a sense of perspective, maybe kind of bring it down to a, nor- I think a normal level. There's always level, a sort of so revisionism that, uh, with a, with a, not in the sort of um, historiographical sense of that term, because that's very loaded, but um, mm. sort of revisionism in terms of actually looking back at the things we were watching, uh, not, not just in wrestling, but in any medium, and thinking, was the stuff we were all swept up in the moment, and the zeitgeist, this seeming very current, actually is this the sort of stuff that I like watching now? And also, what was its um, influence as well? Like, has the uh, the influence of this stuff necessarily been positive? Um, like, in the couple of years after, I'm not I'm not suggesting that this was a, a sort of 
very influential match. I mean, I think maybe people will take influences from the from the style, but like no one's gonna say, "Oh, do you remember when uh, they're specifically like for remember when Kashida wrestled Kyle O'Reilly at Uprising 2015?" I mean, like like David said, they've had multiple matches um, to the point where I had to specify which one I meant because they've had multiple matches even in Rev Pro. <laughs> Genuinely, when you mentioned it at first, I thought you meant the one I went to. I was like, great, I can make some anecdotes about when I went to see Jushin Liger. And then I realised, oh, wait a minute, hold on, they had their own. All right, okay, fair enough, cool. <laughs> um, but, like, what, 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 just to come back to what David said then, um, I think that, um, in my opinion, Omega Okada, simply because of its just its enormousness, its ridiculous, the kind of ridiculous amounts of um, stuff written about it and the breaking of the Meltzer scale and all, all this stuff, is the one that you go to. But, I mean, I, for example, I just to contrast this, I watched um, Triple Mania the other day. This is how far behind I am in my, my viewing, right? I watched Triple Mania. Um, my review of the show, terrible, great, great main event. Um, that, that's a party one. But, like, um, the main event in, in, in that is it's preposterous in many ways. Um, uh, 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 Dr. Wagner Jr. versus uh, Blue, Blue Demon Jr. It's preposterous in many ways. There's all sorts of um, a, a kind of ridiculous chicanery going on. It's it's very, very basic in the story it tells. It's brutish and silly, and I mean that in the emotional storytelling sense, not necessarily in what happens in the ring, it's that too. But for me, that that taps into something which has a sort of a base level of, um, of, a, of appeal in terms of just the simple conflict and construction of the way that that match works. That I feel like will will live will live forever and 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 always stand up to a kind of base set of desires and impulses that we have as wrestling fans of things we like to be satisfied. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's not to everyone's taste. Obviously, if you don't like like the Lucha main event like Quest as matches, then what the fuck's wrong? <laughs> but if you don't, then fine. Like, um, but it's it, for me. It's it, it's not that match isn't of its time. That match can drop into any time, you know. And it's fine to have time capsule matches that mean something if you like a particular period. But I always think that great time capsule matches are that, and then also transcend that. I'd say that's right. I mean, getting into sort of some of the stuff that they do in this match, like um, there's. Uh... Actually, I've just got a note that says O'Reilly does the trample fetish on Kushida like uh, quite early in the match. If you saw that, the things I think if we move on to things we like about this match, uh, because I I I don't think any of us are saying that like it's really good. Yeah, what what. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what I don't, but like, yeah, what what we're really doing, we're not criticizing the match as such more that that it may be. I guess we're talking about the the perfidy of memory and how our tastes change and stuff like that. So that was jumping off point for discussion. Getting into the match is actually really good. Like you don't get that. Some voices of <laughs> Um So yeah, basically we've got uh, there's some really good technical stuff in here. Like um, this O'Reilly gets Kushida's back at one point and then does a Gato clutch and rolls it into a rear chin lock somehow, which is uh, really really nice, uh, nicely done. Um, this is actually at the point where commentary mentions that uh, Kushida trained at the Takada Dojo while he was in junior high, very impressive, and were, was uh, some sort of news round press packer for Tokyo Sports. Um, but which uh, I, I the news round press packers for me that's bringing back lots of memories. Um, I'm convinced that the intern is always the person they get to judge the Joshi MVP because like it's clearly some years they don't give a fuck. Like I remember, like a few years ago, they made no award. I was like, what? No one. Like no one in Joshi has impressed you sufficiently in the last twelve calendar. I think it's just the interns. Like, do you watch Joshi? No. All right, fuck it then. <laughs> um... All right. Well, I mean, don't you mean that they judged it with an ice cold emotional? <laughs> 
Um, there's um, I, the things I like about this. I think um, O'Reilly brings a, a certain amount of uh, personality to this match. Like, I I think O'Reilly is uh, by far my favourite moment of the Undisputed Era. Um, member of the Undisputed Era. Uh, just like he's just. Like Adam, Bobby Fish is like, you know, Bobby Fish is sort of there. Adam Cole is like, uh, like I, as someone said, like Adam, Adam Cole's a great heel. I love the bit where, I love the bit where he does a cool catchphrase and the crowd pops for it. Um, but like Roderick Strong's, uh, I, I like Roderick Strong a lot, but like Kyle O'Reilly is basically a guy who gets it, understands that like the cool heel stable, like, Look, look, wrestling heel stables are essentially like often quite silly, especially if they're all coming out in matching T-shirts and their leaders doing a catchphrase. Kyle O'Reilly is always doing facial expressions, like in the background. He's such a shithouse. He's such a healing shithouse when he comes out strong. Oh, yeah, it's it's disgusting. I love it. Like, he knows Hulk Hogan did that. He knows it. Um, But, but, yeah, the the thing I like in this match where he... um, uh, the I've I've never seen this before, but like Kushida goes to a well, obviously I had seen it before because so I was at this fucking match. But um, Kushida goes for a sunset flip, and O'Reilly kind of does a sarcastic uh, Alohoran paging OSW for that coinage. Uh, he's like swiveling his hips as though he's going over with this fucking look on his face, and then he just immediately transitions into an armbar. Like it's um, it's 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 so good. Like uh, this is what I like. I. Like technical wrestling, all great stuff. But like, if one of them's a shit house as well, like you know, you can do it. Like it doesn't have to be technical wrestling. Doesn't have to have a dry, motionless expression. Like it's uh... no, no, no. I mean, obviously bad because like you know, literally murdered someone. But Jim Brown, <laughs> the redacted special <laughs> from Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> Kushida does a um uh he, uh Kushida returns the favor with the sarcastic aloha. Run. There's also probably like. God bless Kushida. He's he, God loves a trier. He's um, uh, his commitment to doing the Motor City Machine Guns double team by himself, like when he does the he does the cartwheel yeah. and then he does the like the low drop kick. Is that got? Yeah. Is that got passed on from the Motor City Machine Guns and then uh, Kushida and Alex Shelley started doing it when they're tagging the time splitters and then Kushida just started doing it by himself. So like this this is literally a ship of Theseus. This double team like neither of the original tag team who did it. Like Kushida's just doing his part. Like it's uh, almost kind of tragic. He's like just doing one half of a double team. <laughs> um, uh, this some. Uh, I think actually when the um, like I say, I think I have some issues with the psychology um, of this match later on uh, with the sort of I guess the the counter wrestling and like how much does this actually mean? How much is it telling a story? But uh, the strikes are very good. Um, they, there's a particular Kushida does the uh, I guess the baseball pitch punch like you know the one I mean where he just cocks yeah, him in the jaw that's a huge yeah. reaction yeah. Well. I remember at the time because of the it must be one of the, the thigh slap things uh, that he does with, to emphasize you know, the, the sound with the uh, with, with the hit but I remember at the time getting a big reaction and on, on video it really picks up the ooh from the audience yeah like that's really good and there's some like axe kicks from uh, O'Reilly and uh, and stuff like that which are uh, which are, are really good there's uh, I mean the baseball punch gets a deserved holy shit chant from the uh, from the guys not often you can <laughs> say that about uh, just a jab which is pretty much pretty much what it is um, there's some I think my favourite stuff with the counters are the um uh, basically them going for their finishes, in particular the Kimura, like numerous attempts to tilt a whirl into one on Kushida's part and basically getting guillotined. At this point in the match, I definitely can see myself about five rows back with like uh, historically long hair by my standards. 
to the point where I actually had to think, that's me in it. Yeah, it is. All right, good. Um, you're in your happy face. Uh, the sort of uncanny valley sort of yeah. uh, sort of uh, thing. And um, actually, I think one of the... Um, uh, speaking of hands-to-ping elbow counters, actually, I've won in the last match, I've won in this when uh, the elbow uh, gets counted into an armbar. And well, there'll be many more armbar counters in the last match that we're going to uh, <laughs> going to just, oh boy, will they? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this, it's, this, the thing about the match, it's all really, really good stuff. Like, it's um, it's just the the counters got wearing a bit, you know what I mean? I would have liked someone to, like, copyright Michael Cole, create momentum. Create momentum, just like John Landsman, everyone. So go, going back, yeah, this is what we're saying about the match. Like the big spots, such as they are, are um, counters upon counters upon counters. And I guess the weight attached to each move is More kind counters of counters are my Meren deck in Magic the Gathering. So basically, <laughs> like um, it's it's counters upon counters upon counters, and the actual, I guess, kayfabe um, severity of the moves is kind of, I guess, leveled out a little bit. It's not like there's big moves, essentially, relative to the other moves in the match. So in that sense, I guess it is kind of a little bit like those um, old World of Sport matches where it's basically uh, they're doing holds and whoever can get the first opening is going to be the winner, obviously with vastly different psychology and a vastly different palette in terms of the the actual manoeuvres being done. Um, oh, by the way, can I just say um, a spot I really detest? Uh, in this match, and they uh, they both do it. So uh, Kushida hits the uh, the uh, Edson Navantes de Nascimento kick, and it ends up getting uh, countered to the the fucking rebound bound lariat that like Nigel McGuinness used to do, and Dean Ambrose did in the feds, where he like falls into the ropes and then somehow comes back and does a lariat like, but he falls into the ropes in a way that like completely destroys all any momentum he, he built up. It's kind of like he almost stops. So it's not a rebound lariat in so much as Fall, fall back, stop moving, come back again. And then Kushida does one later, um, uh, countering a German by O'Reilly, and it's like fucking molasses, the guy's moving. Like, it's, I know it's not part of your moveset, but maybe just don't do it. Like, Yeah, it's really bad. But then it turns into something really good, like um, uh, the, uh, you know, there's a forearm by O'Reilly. They do the simultaneous roaring elbows. I really like that. And yeah. uh, Kushida tries the baseball punch again and just it gets turned into a uh, O'Reilly guillotine, at which point uh, I, I really like the finish as well, actually. I'm uh, For all that we've had criticisms of the sort of frequent uh, shifts in off- who's on offense in this match to the sense that you don't really feel like there's a sort of seesawing in terms of momentum, uh, it did have a decisive finish, which I really enjoyed. Like, O'Reilly does the guillotine. Okay, Kushida escapes into that. So O'Reilly just... Pins it down, stomps him in the head a lot and uh, puts him in a triangle and then the ref stops it. So, OK, good, good. Like, they're putting the guy over strong. It's not like it's not a flash pin or it's not him just hitting his finisher out of nowhere. It's like a nice decisive win. He's sort of got his win back after the um, best of the Super Juniors final. So I, I certainly um, can't fault the finish. I love a good ref stoppage as well when it's not being done for, like, nakedly political reasons. Whereas, like, no, it would look weak if he taps out. A genuine, honest-to-goodness ref stoppage. I like that. Okay, so our third and uh, final match in this episode is the uh, most recent one. It took place on the 13th of October 2018. Now, as we've just done the uh, first ever match we've reviewed on this podcast that uh, one or more of us has been at live, we're now going to do the second one. This is Kaylee Ray versus Emi Sakura from uh, Pro Wrestling Eve. 
So uh, just last year, so um, yeah, very, very recent. And um, just to give you a little bit of a background as to um, my thoughts watching this match live, I was really not feeling this show for a variety of reasons. Like, um, firstly, because I was going on my own because uh, Sarah decided that she wanted a um, weekend at home because she'd had like a lot on. I'd had a pretty uh, hard week at work. And then um, basically this was a show that Command Bolshoi was meant to be on. And then it turned out she couldn't make it because of uh, scheduling, uh, sort of a scheduling mix-up with her stuff in Japan, which I don't attach any blame to her or the uh, or the promotion for. It's just one of those things. And so basically, that was the reason I bought the ticket. And I was like, oh fuck, okay. Um, do I still really fancy going down? And I thought I genuinely considered staying at home because I was like, well, I've I've bought the ticket, so like that money's gone whether I do go or not. And eventually, I was like, okay, look, I will go. I won't make a weekend of it like I usually do. I'll just go down for the show, stop overnight, um, have breakfast with our good friend uh, Paddy Reed, and then come back. And even like the first half of the show, I wasn't quite feeling it. Like all none of the matches were bad. It was just that n- none of them, apart from one of them, I can't remember which one it was, really grabbed me. But the second half of this show was fucking phenomenal. It kicked off with this incredibly violent match between uh, Little Miss. Rock- Roxy and Jamie Hayter, which was Roxy's um, uh, debut match with the promotion, and uh, it very quickly turned into a hardcore match, which Jamie Hayter like brought out a kendo stick, and then Roxy brought out like ten kendo sticks yeah. like tied yeah. together with twine. It was like the uh, the bit in The Simpsons, like that's how uh, you can turn one gun into five guns. Yeah. Just to interrupt you very briefly, I just want to say shout out to Little Miss Roxy because she's a local uh, like well, she's actually from I think um, is it she's from Ireland, but she's actually she works a lot in Newcastle. Um, 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 and uh, yeah, I, I set up a ring for a show she did for NCL once, and she was just a really nice person um, and she's like become a really decent worker as well yeah yeah big, big fan she's uh, Sarah's 10 year old cousin's favourite wrestler yeah I can see that she's got a real uh, appeal she's good I've got a lot of time for her. most of her matches like uh, she ends up bleeding all her opponent does yep which, uh, is, <laughs> which as an old school fan is pretty much what I want yeah so. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. as a 10 year old that's exactly what I want as well yeah. well I, I actually after that after that match she had with Jamie Hayter I uh, overheard Dan Reed just saying, saying to someone well, fucking hell she was wrestling like she wanted more bookings wasn't she <laughs> Um, and then this was the uh, this was the semi-main of the show uh, the match we're about to review and uh, the thing is I I say this match over-delivered for me and that kind of seems like a a weird thing to say because Kaylee Ray versus Emi Sakura on paper you're like well yeah of course that's going to be good Um, because Kaylee Ray is one of these people who She's she's so good that you kind of and she's on so many shows that that I go to and a lot a lot of people go to particularly if you're up in Scotland uh-huh, or certainly yes. back before yeah. um, she ended up uh, doing more stuff with NXT UK that like you kind of end up taking her excellence for granted because she's so consistent and Emmy Sakura is over for Eve so often that like she can scarcely be considered an import really um, so this is just like oh I, I, okay Kayleigh Ray versus Emmy Sakura is on the card that will be good and um, I. I realised sort of quite early on that Emmy, for whatever reason, was going to be particularly on during this match when she came like bounding down the steps, like did the peace sign to the camera yeah. and comes like striding out to the ring. It's like, OK, we're going to we're going to have a lot of fun. She's wearing a, a very comfy looking uh, panto genie gear. Well, well yes. her, her gear is always uh, is always it's is always top notch. It's always got yeah like that panto genie vibe, or she goes for like just the full cosplay. Um, I don't, I'm I'm not using that in in in, in the uh, the cosplay in uh, in in reference to the interminable debate on Twitter and other places about whether uh, modern wrestling constitutes cosplaying uh, from someone who might have just been fired from the NBA for being a massive racist. 
<laughs> for ruining the best uh, wrestling product on TV for me now, you absolute shit for brains cunt. Um, I was wa- I was watching it live when it happened, and then it just died after about 25 minutes. And this video is now private, and I was like, oh, we are on to a fucking winner. Well, I mean, he, ma- he, ma- he made a pretty, not to divert this, but he made a pretty sketchy comment about paedophilia on an episode before that. I remember thinking, ooh, that's a bit Prince Andrew. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Jim uh, Cornette in a Pizza Express in Walking. <laughs> well, there you go. It's, it's up there with cathedrals in, um, in Kent, um, but um, <laughs> the the comment they got me was like sperm off a gold tooth, and I was like, that's not even a phrase. Yeah. What? And as what? anyone will know, who's shot a jet of semen into some gold teeth? And anyway, uh, sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, well, it's a mysterious phrase, and so you have to assume that the intent behind it was racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Back to Emmy Sakura. Or should I say, sorry, Emmy Sakura? Uh, that was my Excalibur impression. Did you like it? Uh, I, 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 did, I did at least at least uh, you managed to include her first name which is more than the people who do the match cards oh my god um, for ages just me or is the way that he pronounces Sakura incredibly irritating even if even if it's possibly accurate I wouldn't say it to his face but no because he'll choke you out like he did Jimmy Havoc that's yes. <laughs> Anyway, we digress. Emmy Sakura. <laughs> yes, we really do. Um, yeah, so uh, Emmy Sakura comes out. She uh, does a little dance and starts conducting that uh, famous, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, Jeremy Corbyn song that we all know. And I'm, <laughs> I'm never, le- I'm never letting that go, Daniel. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fact that in a previous episode, George, you did I not think know. you'll find it's by the. It's, it's a very famous song by the White Stripes. <laughs> yes, as we now all know and always have done. Exactly. Like, why would someone like you with an, an in-depth knowledge of music, history and culture not know that, George? That's all you know, I know. You're talking to a former journalist yeah. of Rockerola. Yeah. The Quietest. Yeah. Um, uh, um, crack Magazine. The, uh, you know. Some have called him the Alexis Petridis of Newcastle. Uh, oh, God, <laughs> don't ever say that again. Um, so, uh, and the John Harris of Middle Earth. <laughs> John Harris has gone to Middle Earth to um, listen to their legitimate concerns about immigration from the Shire. Well, only a hobbit could have a haircut like that. <laughs> okay, let, let's move away from uh, just slaying Guardian journalists because, like, that's already like fifty percent of our uh, our audio. That's too um, so... easy. And Jim Cornette's going to be writing for them next week, so there's plenty of chance to do it in the Christmas episode. Anyway, Emmy Zagara. <laughs> Emi Sakura starts with some shadow boxing and some arm ringers with this uh, peculiarly malevolent expression and basically we end up getting the, some trading full Nelsons and then <laughs> Emi Sakura sort of dances her way into putting Kaylee Ray into a full Nelson somehow and then just starts screaming her screaming in her ear while she's doing it <laughs> which I always think is a I think a lot of my favourite what is it that like makes me think like certain Joshi wrestlers are great. I think a lot of the ones who are just constantly screaming throughout their entire match, I think that's something that really makes them stand out and recommend them to me. Um, Also get like one of these um, uh, bits where she she ends up doing a jig with the, the ref which is a ruse to get him to participate in a Togi Mikabe style double clothesline. <laughs> um, I I was I I loved I love uh, his name's his name's Tom. I always love him because like he's he's so angry all the time. Like when he's laying down the rules. Yeah, I I, I, I quite enjoy an angry ref so long as they don't uh, you know distract from the action too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do quite enjoy. Yeah, no, a, a he, he stays just the right side of not distracting from the from the action and like he's one of these things where 
he always looks like he's being personally affronted by all of the rule breaking. Like he, he's both angry and disappointed, and I, I really, I really like that about him. Um, well, at least he's playing the advantage in keeping the game flowing, as opposed to dishing <laughs> out cards all over the shop. I have seen him given, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, then we get some Mongolian chops in corner and a, a vicious um, uh, hair hair whip, and then um, a really hard chop by Emi Sakura, which is a theme throughout this match. Yeah, she, 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 she's, not, uh, she's not messing about with these chops in this match uh, at all. Um. No, no, she is like... One thing I will say for Emi Sakura, she never half asses it whenever she, uh, whenever she comes to the UK. Um, like, there was one match where... Like, the, the wall in the Resistance Gallery, which you'll see if you watch this match, which I recommend you do, um, which apparently is not a real wall. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a fire at the uh, venue, like, a number of years ago. That is just a temporary partition, and... So basically, the walls, uh, the rings, always right up against the wall, and Emi Sakura often puts her opponent on the apron and does a crossbody into it, sort of sandwiching them. Yeah. Oh, and the gato move, like the. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, basically, basically that she does that in the Resgal. I remember her, the first time I saw her do it, it was like, oh, well, that was the main event of the uh, of the uh, of the evening, and like just a big spot that she does. No, no, she just does it all the time. Like it's basically, I I can just envision the day where she test the wall one too many times and it just collapses and both her and her opponent fall on top of a fucking children's birthday party that's taking place next door and the and, and the subsequent lawsuit ensures we will never see any of the footage from that promotion ever again I, I really really wouldn't want a children's party within like 500 yards of the red gal considering like what it's mostly yeah. used for cancelled for historical comments a legal battle not seen since the days to try and procure, procure the uh, memphis tv rights well, well, there was a there was a time there when the uh, the after show party of one of those uh, lucha shows that they would do at York Hall uh, from time to time. Um, the after party was at the Res Gala, got accidentally double booked with a medical fetish night, and there's just loads <laughs> of like fifty year old uh, queer guys like like trying to talk to El Hio del Santo about Big Daddy. Oh my god! I, I, oh my, that is so my kink. <laughs> At least Dr. Wagner Jr. would have been right at home at such an event. Lads, cancel the show. I need to have a wank. <laughs> I swear to God. I mean, you can. You know, I mean, I can't. I can't see your lower half. You could just fucking probably. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't know. Not, oh, not... don't encourage him. <laughs> um, see, see if he turns off his camera at any point. <laughs> we know. <laughs> I mean, your camera's off half the time. Usually, when we're recording, anyway. So I don't want to know what you've been up to. I don't try and hide it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's true. You are very, you are very transparent. Every mention uh, of survival to beta yields one orgasm in the man forest. <laughs> oh, God, I've just... Come. Come. <laughs> <laughs> the only survival we need to do is against Wanker's Cramp. Uh, so there's a um, uh, very nice forearm exchange followed by a uh, massive wind-up punch by uh, Emmy, like... Four or five rotations where, like, it's just like it's the kind of punch Popeye does. <laughs> like when when Bluto's been looking at his bird or whatever that cartoon was about. It, it is very comic book, isn't it? The uh, the one. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Emmy is so like turned up to eleven throughout the entirety of the. Kaylee Ray's very good at playing the sort of um, uh, straight woman to her, but like, there's little things that Emmy does in that match that, like, even live, I didn't. Um, realized and uh, pat pointed out to me afterwards there's a bit um just not too long after this um exchange where kaylee gets her into a koji clutch and a rear naked choke where uh basically uh kaylee ray puts emi sakura in a bow and arrow lock but like before that she's in the submission and she's crawling towards the rope and, and she is 
Uh, you can just about hear her uh, just saying the word Darcy, which is there's uh, one of the, I think she was doing Rinku, there's a wrestler called Darcy Stone there, who was like, who had done a tour of Gato Move quite recently, and she's just there in this submission just shouting, Darcy, help me. Are you sure she wasn't just really, really, because she was in the UK, she was just doing it as a tribute to Colin Firth in the BBC adaptation <laughs> of Pride and Prejudice? It's me, it's Kathy, I've come home. <laughs> Have we ever spoken about my really shit punk band when I was a teenager on this podcast before? No, but I instantly wanted to devote like 15 minutes to it. <laughs> we'll save that for the Christmas episode. There was a lad in it with the very unpunk name of Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. His name was James Darcy, but we, um, yeah. Like, uh, uh, no, I, I prefer real, tun- real punks like uh, Frank Turner. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I like. Uh, Get uh, off the show, you slag. Frank Turner, a million dead theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Emmy flips out of uh, the submission into a lateral press, and then a. Um, uh, oh, then we get one of my favourite spots. Like, I would say it's often said on the uh, on the the actually a podcast uh, friend of the show. Um, to uh, that the the Mexican surfboard is like okay, we know someone's like a good worker here. Emmy Sackwood does rolling surfboards. Yeah. Like yeah. she'll sort of she'll do the surfboard and then she'll sort of fall forward and do a roll back onto her back, still all while like keeping all of Kaylee Ray's limbs tied up. I, I, I was in... I was thinking about that uh, when I was watching some Scotty Davis matches recently and one in the flesh actually in Newcastle not long ago and obviously he's the king of the gator roll um, and uh, he he does yes. like, multiple gator rolls in a kind of Manny Meteota style uh, you know it's it's always like oh he's he, he's telling us he's technically sound. <laughs> he, he he's good actually I saw him at I saw him at that frontline show that um, um, Miyu Yamashita was on in June, and he was in this six-way elimination match. Um, most people haven't heard of, apart from him and Paul Robinson, and they were the final two. And uh, Scotty Davis <laughs> had the the thing I like most in wrestling: a lad in a tracksuit at ringside shouting encouragement. Excellent. I mean, we are That's into, we are into Puro, in so we, we we like New Japan matches from the seventies. So yes, we want our lads in tracksuits shouting from the sidelines. <laughs> Use the yeah. channels. Use the channels. <laughs> man on! Man on! Penalised. Um, yellow card. Not allowed. Um, so, so basically, like, um, the, the other the other great, like, spiteful bit after the rolling surfboards is, like, Emi Sakura gets uh, Kelly Ray into a uh, rear chin lock and then rather than just, like, letting go of the hole, just fucks her onto the ground. Like that's that's really good. It's like she's not even releasing. He's just putting that extra little bit of salt and pepper on it. Like I I I, I really I really enjoyed it. Um, and, would would uh, you say that that attitude to the rear chin lock almost makes Emi Sakura a much better worker than uh, Kevin Owens and Randy Orton? I mean, I I think it probably does. In, 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 a, a, in a controversial. <laughs> Controversial opinion. Emi Sakura may be a better wrestler than Randy Orton. Yeah, well, she's never drawn a dime, kid. So, <laughs> uh, hey, Emi Sakura's probably. My hands are burning from these hot, hot takes that are just. That's because you're on fire. Because I'm the Disco Inferno. Uh, and, um... I'm the Disco Inferno, and I hate women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Emi Sakura's probably wrestled in front of. Um, bigger crowds than Randy Orton or Kevin Owens recently just because of I being know. on AEW full gear. A lot of the people that are accused of this uh, when uh, when people talk about it on Twitter actually have. It's just that people don't have a fucking clue about any of the history no, of wrestling. No, indeed. Like, actually, I will say this because we're like not far removed from full gear. Like, AEW did absolutely fuck all to build that um, women's title match, Yeah, with Riho. Uh, we'll and, we'll like, talk about this in one of our upcoming episodes, possibly in the Christmas special. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do a sort of 
state, state of the nation. But like Amy Sakura and the Gato Move people, like on the day of the show, put so much effort into getting across their like their relationship as teacher and student and their history wrestling each other and all the rest of it. The fact that Amy Sakura was Riho's last opponent uh, before she moved to AEW. And, you know, it wouldn't have been much to just like maybe... AEW put some stuff on on social media or even on Dynamite the week before. Or you ha- you've got like numerous footage of you know pictures of Emi Sakura training Riho. Riho is a cute little child growing up to become like the ace of her promotion. It really wouldn't have been very fucking nice. The I'm, easiest story. I'm pretty to sure tell. you could uh, you could ask for me uh, or or you ask like you know the 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 Gattle move lads or Emi Sakura. Can we get some footage from? From Gattle yeah. I'm pretty sure it's, it's free on YouTube. Just use two cotton. Oh. I mean, they've, 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 they ended up they ended up using it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I forgot that even existed. Now, hey, now one with two com, man. That's how I made that um, uh, Jericho meme I did recently, where it was uh, the the one where I said uh, uh, it was uh, Bielsa just after the uh, playoff uh, semi final first leg. It was just Jericho going, "I'll see you next week, Darby, you son of a bitch." <laughs> Oh, oh, excellent news! Was it? Was it? Oh, but it was. Oh no, sorry. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was Leeds that spied on Derby, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. And you know what? We were fucking justified. So we were. Vampire to Derby, Alan. But I feel we have. Uh, I feel we have uh, digressed once again. So um, I think so. We, I feel like this might be a running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe felt like the run of the the run of the show. Who knows? But um, so uh, Emmy scratches Kaylee Ray and drags her arm across the ropes. That's really. Uh, that's really grim. Um, like, uh, is it one of those ways where, like, you wouldn't? I think you have to have watched a wrestling, a lot of wrestling, to like realize how much that hurts. Because, like, as any wrestler will tell you, those ropes are not fucking like rubber bands, you know. No, no. I mean, and like I said, like I mentioned before, like, I, I have once and once only in my life. But I will milk, milk it for all it's worth. Worth set up a ring once, and the, the ropes are yeah, they're 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 not pleasant to be scratched no, off. Like just just imagine like hurling your body against that and bouncing back off them every night. Yeah, exactly. Often. Like imagine that being like, the first <laughs> thing you learn at uh, wrestling school. So yeah, I think like I think a lot of people in the crowd. I was certainly one of them. Were wincing at that. Sp- uh, spot. Uh, Kayla Ray slaps Emi Sakura after that, and uh, probably quite right, rightly so. And then rolls through an Irish whip into a submission. I won't even begin to describe. Which thanks, thankfully, she uh, turns into a tequila sunrise, which I do know the uh, do know the the name of that. And um, we get a very nice Sakura poses for the camera before trying to double and dog for some uh, for some reason. And then we get the start of I think if I have one criticism to make of Kay- of Kayla Ray, it's just that. Um, some of her matches may be oh, slightly over-reliant on counters to the gory special, but, like, there's so many good ones that, like, I, I, I mostly don't mind. Um, um, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of... I think when you... Like you said before, you uh, when you see a lot of a wrestler, um, it's difficult... It, it, it's easy, um, A, like you said before, with Kaylee Ray to become sort of um, in- inured to the fact that they're actually very yeah. good. Uh, you know, just the the the, the kind of um, the banality of like the familiar, I suppose, or whatever. But like, you know, also, you, it, it's an, it's a, it's a thing in wrestling where when you do, and I was do, I remember this a lot when I when I was doing a lot of research for the greatest wrestler ever ever project a few years ago uh, with the PWO. I um 
I got to the point where I was watching stuff and it, it was becoming it was it was actually the amount of footage I was watching of certain workers was actually becoming counterproductive and a bit negative yeah. in terms of um, yeah. my experience of it because like obviously wrestling is to a certain extent it can be formulaic especially if you're watching stuff that was never necessarily intended for TV in the first place you know that's like old school fan cam footage or whatever you do see a lot of people repeating things it's not about I think the repetition of spots of, of, of sequences of transitions whatever I think it's about how often you are able to kind of build on them and about how well you're able to adapt them to certain situations yeah absolutely know? which a lot yeah, of absolutely. what was uh, the King's Robe was all about uh, was uh, you know, yeah, a, a lot of that yeah. sort of stuff and just the counters upon counters upon counters which is I think as we've said um Previously, uh, when discussing the uh, Kyle O'Reilly Kashida match, is something that maybe can get a little bit tiresome if it's in the sense that they're just doing moves to no sell them and then they're going back and forth training them. But like, if you actually make the counters into part of the psychology, like if if it's people countering holds, countering pinning combinations, that sort of stuff is uh, more interesting to me, certainly. Anyway. Yeah, that that, that that stuff's absolutely fine. And I, I mean, I've seen a fair amount. I mean, we've all we've all seen a lot of Kaylee Ray. Um, um, to be honest, I think. And uh, yeah, it's um, like you say, it's something that's there, but I don't think it's any more egregious than any other. Wrestler no, I've not at seen. all. And I I I actually really like it in this match. Like um, like um, it's it, it's just just some really good um counters into into that. There's um, there's probably my favorite counter was that um, basically so uh. Emmy does this, um, it's like a, well, it's it kind of like the same thing she does with the wall. It's the um, crossbody when they're in the corner. Just laid against it's the, the wall! The, the, it's the wall up there, brother. <laughs> Hulk Hogan's vision where you can just see across town somehow. Um, uh, but uh, she, so she does that um, crossbody into the corner. And then she tried it again, which is somehow counted into a tornado DDT from uh, Kayla Ray. That was really nice. And honestly, um, it's one of those things like, there's certain tornado DDTs that... Um, defy physics like on one of chris wolf's last matches she she attempted a tornado ddt to two people at once like one head in, under each of her arms and somehow managed it despite the fact that sounds physically impossible and it is but i don't know how like because surely you'd have to do one of them one way and one of them the other she she kind of managed it. It was really weird yeah that's that that, that kind of stuff is why those people wrestling we just talk about <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, as we all know, the master of the tornado DDT is John Cena, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Well, when, it, when, it, when, it, when, it, when he's not busy being the master of the Code Red, uh, yeah, yeah, all, 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 the, all the springboards done. Well, that that is to be fair, because he's the only person who ever was stupid enough to do the springboard stunner. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly of his no. size, anyway. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Springboard Ace Crusher, like Will Ospreay, then, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, apparently a good move to be doing. Uh, but um, also, then, then the Tornado DDT is followed by another one of uh, my favourite things in wrestling, uh, turning kickouts immediately into submissions. Yeah. Which is what you would do if this was real. Yeah. So, turning a kick out, a kick out straight into a guillotine, like, um, uh, big fan of that. There was a lot of it in um, the um, main event of the of DDT Ultimate Party this year between... Um, uh, Konosuke Takashita and uh, Harashima who is still incredible like 45 years, I, years uh, old I literally, that's funny you mentioned that I literally watched that yesterday it's, it's good that isn't match. it yeah it was really good really really good I really yeah that lots of like kickouts getting turned into like deep Boston crap yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that because like, like I, that. I just love Harashima because we've spoken about on the show before way back with the DDT episode we did with Jamie but like um, just the uh, the fact that you just forget he's there because he's Harashima and he's still always there you know and then he just 
you you watch cause I don't watch a lot of DDT but I dip in for the recommended matches each year that I, I find various people on forums and um, you know in uh, in uh, sort of a, 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 a Puro experts that recommend and uh, yeah there he is again just being Harishima just being fucking brilliant and reliable and excellent uh, he's, he's basically like Kaylee Ray if he was Japanese and a bloke that's basically <laughs> what we're saying here. and kind of like um, an ace <laughs> yeah 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 that's the uh... Like, uh, I, well, I don't know. Like, I was, I was thinking the other day, like, because obviously, Britrest having like so many companies who mostly use all the same people. Like, who is the ace of Britrest? I was like, I think it's Chris Brooks. That one. When did that happen? NXT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but uh, another. I think probably the highlight of this match for me is that. Um, Bit where just after this, Kaylee Ray goes to the top rope and Emmy hits a shote and then a superplex, and they take so little time to set it up. Because, like, we've all seen yeah. superplexes which are just so laboriously done. Like, like okay. Oh, better get them in the right position. And eat. Oh, yeah. no, it's take a bit of time to hump yeah. them onto my shoulder. Yeah, I, I'm going to yeah. step up one, like, from the bottom rope to the second rope and then, like, wait 10 seconds and then up from the second rope to the top rope and all that all that stuff. And it's basically just, like, up to the top rope, boom, superplex. It's, it's done. It's so good. Yeah, it's uh, it's like, it's nice because it uh, it just uh, it, it hits with such sort of like sort of a, 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 a impact and it's so quick that it's um, it's a nice variation on a move that as you say you're primed to expect to be a bit more laborious. It gives it a yeah, real snap and, and it's like yeah, really and, satisfying. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the fact that like most superplexes you look at it like it's so slow to do, you're basically thinking if this if again if this was real, why would you ever try this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's clearly not worth the effort. Whereas if you do, it's like the old. Um, Kurt Angle belly to belly, where he just like runs up to the top rope and just fucks them off it like immediately. I, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite moves in wrestling. It's so good to the, the yeah. top rope belly. It's, to it's belly. also one of those times where he'd like slip on the top rope, but he somehow managed to do it anyway. I, I, I'm an absolute killjoy shithouse bastard about that move, so I'm just not going to mention anything about it. Okay, okay, yes. that's uh, that's that's right. for many moves. As I have for so you. many things, that's my brand. I stick to it. But most of all, famously, the double foot stomp. <laughs> um, but uh, then we've uh, then after that, we've uh, it basically turns into the sort of puro slugfest that we all um, know and love. Which them chopping absolute fuck out of each other, which uh, Kaylee Ray wins the contest with a gigantic open hand slap to the chest, like fucking titty destroyer Kaylee Ray here, <laughs> and um, uh, Emmy fires up with slap super kick from Kaylee Ray, and then the. Uh, it kind of looked like a crossroads type thing, sort of like causing inverted neck breaker from uh, yeah. Amy Sakura, and then Kaylee Ray's on the apron. That's the wall, brother. <laughs> she does the crossbody into the wall. <laughs> if, Tear down if... this wall. <laughs> There's a kid's party on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gigantes up there, brother. <laughs> in, uh, sort of early two thousands, uh, all Japan head. Literally an attempt to break the fourth wall. <laughs> Oh, it, it, it really Jim is. Jim Cornette will not like this in between making jokes about the Ethiopian famine. Um, yeah, yeah, Jim Cornette will not like this, just as he does not like black people. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't like Donald Trump either, George, so he's left. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I forgot that was the uh, principal uh, qualification for uh, being left wing is do you have antipathy towards like a, a incredibly corrupt and horrendously racist uh, far right president? Uh, surely uh, Mitt Romney, by that fucking token, is uh, practically a fucking momentum member. He, he, he once said something uh, v- uh, quite mean about uh, uh, the preacher, not the wrestler, Billy Robinson. Uh, so therefore that makes him a, 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 a committed communist. <laughs> Do you mean Billy Graham? Who's Billy Robinson? Is it not a Billy, Billy Robinson? Robinson well? The fucking uh, the Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson. That's yeah. Game Pat Robertson is there's three of three of the three of the cunts I know. Yeah, right? Pat, Pat, Pat Robertson. Robertson. Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan is a paleo conservative. That's right. Um, twat. Pat, um, give me a beat. Oh no, that's not. That's not Bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, P squared. That's his name. P squared. Jerry uh, Falwell was the other Jerry one. Jerry Falwell's the like, one I was thinking of. Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen that video where um, uh, I think we're getting off topic again? But have you ever seen oh, Christopher Hitchens was like mostly bad. Yes. Um, like as I said on Facebook the other day, maturity is realizing that both Hitchens brothers are shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Christopher Hitchens going on Fox News like clearly pissed out of his mind. <laughs> And just talking about like how he's not sorry Jerry Falwell's dead. He was he, he was all right <laughs> when he was a kind of tepid wet Trotskyist, uh, like uh, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, well, so, so well, Peter Hitchens was a fucking uh, Trotskyist. There's so many people who just turn into melts when they like just basically discover an opportunity to be like warmongering neolibs, and then just everything just goes out the fucking. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that uh, we give you the new atheist movement. Uh, oh god, yeah, let's not yeah, get into that. That that part of shit. you mentioned really feels like his Martin Keown hates books more. <laughs> yeah yeah it really it really does but uh yeah so uh crucially not um christian uh fundamentalist uh billy robinson of the um uh what would terry riley think daniel like oh uh, <laughs> i don't know if they make a fucking epic sound poem about it like uh I, I do kind of love the idea of Billy Robinson like teaching double underhook suplexes um, at the snake pit and then and then reading to them from like the book of fucking Samuel or something. Enduring image, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, I don't, uh, actually, speaking of double underhooks. Um, yeah, you, you remember uh, wrestling, lads? Yeah, do you remember wrestling? Actually, it's a good segue. Speaking of d- double underhooks, we've got. Um, Emmy Zakwood does a sort of. It starts off like a tiger driver, but then she turns it into an armbar. Like it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's really cool. Like um uh, and actually uh, a little bit after that um we've got um uh, a swanton bomb from uh, Kaylee Ray uh, countered into an armbar. Mm, yeah, like, there's, there's just a lot of nice covers in this map. and just catches her in it. And that is like it's hard to do to like grab someone's arm as they um, come off the top rope. Now I've seen um there's a really good probably one of the first. Um, modern Joshi matches I ever watched. It was um, uh, Kairi Hojo versus Mako Satamura in uh, Stardom, like 2015, the one where they did the 30-minute uh, draw. And uh, uh, Kairi does the um, the top rope elbow drop and, and Mako catches it into an armbar. And that, that's really good. But I've seen Mako Satamura fuck up that spot when she's like, it doesn't go quite smoothly. Like, it's reliant yeah. on such a huge amount of um, of coordination between both competitors. And they actually, like, um, Emi Saka and Kayla Ray do it absolutely... Um, perfect here and um but then uh Kayla Ray rolls it into a two count uh tiger bomb for two from uh and we've been like gradually building with the near fours then she goes up top and just hits a fucking corkscrew moonsault for uh every second was i think she was like 42 at the uh time of this match yeah yeah she, she's like deceptively like uh older than than she looks like um 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can still pull out the she can still pull out the four fifty splash on occasion, which is just absolutely mind boggling to me. Like she's just like I think this is what um uh, uh Pat's uh, spoken like uh, or written quite uh, eloquently on this match uh, before. Um, I don't know if he wrote something for the probably didn't write anything for the website because we never have any content. But like um he's, I certainly seen him do a Twitter thread on it. The fact that like Emi Sakura is such a very firstly very underrated wrestler and secondly so versatile. And in this match, we kind of got all the facets of her character. We've got, like, sort of very silly shenanigans, like dancing around. We've got her high-flying stuff. We've got her submission wrestling, like her really hard strikes. Basically, just everything of, like, what she can do in the ring, you kind of see in this, like, 12-minute or so match. This might be a good point for me to, like, interject and ask you guys something, because you, you'll be able to explain this better than... Well, you'll be able to give more background on this than me. So, um, like, as a lot of the listeners will know, and as you guys know, like, I've, I've kind of been sorting my life out in the last couple of years. Um, and um, while I never stopped watching wrestling, I just... Um, I, uh, I, I kind of... My, inv- my involvement in terms of, like, um, fandom and participating in it in terms of the modern uh, sort of contemporary product um, just kind of dropped off. I had other priorities. I was mainly watching old stuff um, and, uh, you know, dipping in and out of, of new stuff. And I wasn't really involved in the fandom for a couple of years there, really, at all. Um, and I'm sort of just... I'm, I'm just now getting back back into sort of the contemporary landscape of, of things. Whereas just before that, um, as, like, uh, uh, as you all know, like, I was pretty much about as hardcore as you could possibly get. Um... Now that that period of, of me sort of dipping out of of things a little bit seemed to coincide with um, the sort of um, Emi Sakura getting her um, really sort of getting this um, uh, uh, level of being of of, 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 of of like elder states person love um, and sort of like acknowledgement as a really great uh, kind of worker by quite a, a, at least a significant portion of people online and in certain territories. I, I say territories, regions, um, like you know the UK, for example, coming over for East shows and things like that. Whereas before that, she felt to me to be kind of someone that was a, a bit more niche in terms of like um, you, you know um, her appeal and her exposure in some ways. Um, like in terms of like the the way people would talk about her, in terms of like talking about her as like an all time great and things like that. Um, have I got that right, or do you feel like I just missed her back in the day as well? Because I I was aware of her and I saw her matches and things, but like I, I didn't really hear her spoken about in as quite reverential tones as I hear her spoken about today. I, I, I would probably say one decisive factor on this is very similar to Mako in a way, in that in mid-2000s, Joshi scene was pretty dead. There's not really much going on. There wasn't a promotion for Amy Sakura to kind of shine in, so to speak. There was obviously stuff going on. But... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, like, I think there was still stuff going on but like in terms of its exposure really and it's like sort of profile like she was like doing stuff she was setting up ice ribbon in like i think 2006 yeah um but like yeah it does seem that like um not that like the joshi scenes back to what it was but it does seem like there's a number of uh companies now which are like all seem to be doing like relatively well and uh wanting to seek um, audiences abroad. I mean, one of the other things, actually, I mean, uh, David, you'll be able to um, speak uh, about this because, uh, like, uh, you having been to see Gatto move um, uh, quite recently, having, uh, if you've uh, listened to a holiday uh, episode, um, that's probably part of it as well, I would say. Like, the fact that, like, this really wacky niche promotion that she runs is kind of getting a bit of exposure to Western fans now because of the YouTube channel and, yeah. like, the English language content they'd be doing. 
Yeah, I would certainly see the proclivity of like of Emi Sakura matches because I think the thing is, is before Cat will move, she wasn't necessarily in promotions that were making a lot of tape. I, I knew her from Ice Ribbon, making... and that was it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she like I mean, she was in IWA Japan and stuff like she was in like Joshi promotions and stuff before that, but it was just similar in a way to like how others as various years of Mako's um run that are, are very very undertapped in terms of like you know matches and that you probably find that's the same for emmy and that when there was you know like lots of footage going about and all that she wasn't a main eventer and then by the time she got to a main eventer it was you know ice ribbon and that was it and even then you no know, it was a, it was a bit difficult i mean we all remember you know buying you know fucking g1 on nico nico for 120 quid that was <laughs> oh sort of, god that was oh man we've come a long years. way um Fuck so like hell. now that yeah it's all on demand and I, I really do think the gatto move thing does help though i think if she was just working you know some you know shindy and um uh, you know with a big show in korokin every couple of months you know just working shinkiba for a string and shinjuku face and that the occasional yeah, date in livingston yeah yeah you know the odd the odds date in bathgate you know yeah, yeah. um that you wouldn't really get you know she wouldn't really be getting the things but i mean the thing is is like gatto move it, it is a revolutionary promotion like the matches they're putting on are completely different from everything else and it's showing her and the fact that she's training all these people i think I think the fact that she trains them all is a big boon for that, and that you're seeing the, the the direct effects of what happens when she trains people. Oh yeah, I mean she is a very prolific trainer. She trained literally hundreds of wrestlers. Did she? Um, did she? Tra- she did she train uh, Yuka Sakazaki as well? Uh, no, she didn't. Yuka Sakazaki was. I don't know who does the training at Tokyo Joshi, but um, it's a, it's a different company. But she um, she uh, trained trained Riho as we were um, just uh, and uh, also I mean you can go on Cage Match and um, uh, and f- find out. But like I mean setting up Ice Ribbon, training all the wrestlers there, doing the same thing with uh, Gato Move, even training like wrestlers in Thailand being out there. And uh, it's it's and so basically people in the know in sort of Puro terms, Joshi terms, would recognise her as this great trainer. And uh, it's it's very nice to see her sort of her wrestling becoming um, widely known amongst uh, you know amongst fans uh, abroad. And uh, AEW is a part of that as well because like when they announced her for, I I heard that they'd um, signed um, they signed Riho for AEW and they'd signed um, Hikaru Shida, uh, which is uh, you know I mean that's a kind of seemed like a no brainer really. Um, yeah. But when they had uh, their first show and they announced the six-woman Joshi tag match. I was just like, it kind of blew my mind because there was like Riho and Shida, but also um, Rio Mizunami was there, um, noted songstress Yuka Sakazaki, as we've uh, mentioned for Arja Kong as well, um, and Emi Sakura, and you can tell Kenny Omega booked it. And um, it was just like, okay, yeah, all these people are really good, but, like, this is a weird fucking combination of people because they all wrestle for, like, different promotions. And, but I was just it's like... It's very much like that World War Three match from 95 when it was, uh, was it H.A.W. versus... Uh, what, J.W.P., uh, I think, I yeah. Know. Yeah, maybe. But it was, like, literally, it was, two, like, two of the biggest stars for H.A.W. versus two of the biggest stars from J.W.P., and this was the sort of demilitarised zone. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 yeah. fucking Virginia. It's, it's um yeah yeah and uh and uh the fact that amy sakura got to um like show what she can do in front of that like 
huge crowd um, at the first AEW show and also chose that very moment to uh, debut her Freddie Mercury cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> just like ama- amazing stuff. Uh, I mean, again, we'll, we'll, uh, we will definitely come into this in more depth in the, our Christmas episode, I think. Like, But... Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, just the, uh, the 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 idea that they they kind of they, they managed to um, introduce the whole notion of um, having Joshi as something which I, I know they said they were going to do in terms of like trying to distinguish themselves like the uh, cruiserweights used to be for Nitro back in the day, um, and then I think yeah we'll talk about it more, but it, it really adds to the sense of disappointment over the build to that match as well, you know. There you go. Yeah, it does. Like that's the thing. I mean, I I, I quite like the AEW shows. Oh, uh, me too. I like, uh, the weekly TV is the weekly TV is good. I mean, yeah, yeah, I enjoy like, it. I've got criticisms of it, but I, but I enjoy it. Yeah, but you always get the sense of like they could be um, could be doing so much more with it. But like I say, we'll we'll um, get onto that on the uh, Christmas episode when I'm not too paralytic. So um, so that was basically the uh, Kaylee Ray Emmy Sakura match. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to do that one just because. Um, uh, Joshi wrestlers coming over to the UK, uh, mostly for pro wrestling, but also sometimes for other promotions, um, has been a fairly you know standout feature of the landscape for uh, the last few years. So it was nice to sort of have a match that uh, would sort of reflect that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think as well the fact that I mean, um, you know, we're we're in a situation now where, in terms of Brit rest as it stands. I mean, there's the ongoing debate about whether or not it's dead or not right now. I mean, that's. I mean, I think that's a slight over exaggeration. Yeah, maybe this could be our coda to the uh, the episode, really. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, um, I mean, yeah, definitely. And I mean, we uh, that's probably yeah, probably true. But I mean, you know, it's we've had we've seen promotions shutting recently. Um, I think IPW shut recently. Um, obviously, there's all the um, the uh, the exclusive people uh, people tied down to exclusive contracts through NXT and things like that. Um, and I think that. Eve is a really good example of something which is kind of um, managing to just like furrow its own uh, its own path um, above and beyond those things with a really nice you know mixture of um, of um, imports and exposing people to new talent as well and it's just nice to know that um, you know they're out there doing that when there's a lot of negativity um, about the kind of British scene at the moment from a lot of people really um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, that that's 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 the thing. Like there's. Um... I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's still a lot of talent out there in uh, in British wrestling. Like NXT UK can't fucking hoover it all up because at the end of the day, well, they can they try. Got, well, they, they can yeah, try. They'll yeah, give it a go, right? they'll give it a good show. Yeah, they'll give it a go. But like at the end of the day, it's a it's a weekly show of one hour a week that no one fucking watches. They, they like they're not going to have like a 50, 60 person uh, roster. And I know people. There's a sort of talent drain also to uh, America. If you think of like uh, Mike Skill, Mark Haskins. Uh, basing themselves in uh, ROH now, fuck knows why, but they are um, Saber and Osprey going to uh, going to New Japan. Um, uh, Chris Brooks spending more and more time uh, in uh, DDT. Jamie Hater going over to Stardom for six months. Uh, things like that. You get the sense that, like, um, for I mean, sort of like 2016, 2017, British wrestling was an amazing shop window for people, and you know, unfortunately, there were rather a lot of people looking into the window. And suddenly the shelves are looking a little bit more bare, um, but not to, not to stretch this metaphor any further. But um, I, I I think like it's 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 a difficult one, like um, because I think Eve can really do its own thing because um, NXT UK um, uh, appears to not give too much of a shit about women's wrestling, maybe because it's run by the people behind Progress. Who knows? And uh, a conjunction of that and uh, WWE. 
there's only going to be so much time spent on uh, on women's wrestling. So yeah, okay, Eve's lost um, the services of Kaylee Ray and Viper and uh, Tony Storm, but they've also got uh, people who aren't tied down to exclusive contracts. So when tapings allow, they have like people like uh, Ginny, uh, Nina Samuels, and then people who aren't tied down to uh, contracts uh, like Laura Di Matteo, Jamie Hayter, uh, Millie McKenzie. Like, there's a lot of like. There's a lot of great yeah. talent out there. They make very judicious use of imports. They fucking booked jazz this month. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was... Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Um, like, it was, uh, it, it was... It was so good. Um, like, oh, jazz, versus, oh. jazz versus Mesa Ruger in Pro Wrestling Eve. Goodbye. So, yeah, I, I don't know, David. Like, um, um, I mean, you being the... Uh, you being the uh, token Caledonian among the uh, <laughs> among the uh, podcast, like um, for the view from north of the border, what would you like say? What like, the state of uh, Scottish wrestling like seems to you, at least? I mean, like, I mean, the the issue for me is that this the state of Scottish wrestling is never actually that good. To be <laughs> honest, I mean, like the really really good example was I don't know if you've seen um, you know, FSM magazine. In their last ever issue, they did like, the top 50 matches to ever happen in British soil. Yeah, Alan Cunahan wrote that piece, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's very good. Yeah, 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 I really enjoy it. Yeah, there's a good um, interview with him on the uh, Brit Res- uh, post-wrestling show about that as well. Yes, exactly. So that's what I was going to mention, is that they, they, they did this interview, they went through all these matches, and it was a wonderful interview talking about all these matches they've been to and stuff like that. And there was a wee bit, and halfway through, we went, by the way, Scottish fans, just so you know, um... I know there's no Scottish matches in the list. It's not that we didn't look. We did look. We looked very hard. Just they weren't very good. <laughs> and it's such a it like it's such a true point and that like the the issue for me with ICW now I I I have a complex relationship with I ICW. Me too. Um, <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. Especially yeah. because I, I have, like, well, because I've been volunteering at Mary Hill with Mark Dallas, I'm very reticent to kind of go put the boot in. But, uh, hey, I'll do it for you if you like. Well, <laughs> well this is it. Well, the, the issue for me is that, like, with, with ICW, ICW, like, I, I, are either of you aware of the singer Jerry Cinnamon? Uh, I've I know the name purely from Twitter. What right. is a Jerry Cinnamon? I, I I think I've heard the name, yeah, but I don't know if I know anything about them. So the easiest way to explain it is that Jerry Cinnamon is a cele- uh, a celebrity singer in Scotland. So he basically he is terrible. Like I mean, he's not the bad. guy that did that awful Sucky Hall Street song, is he? Yeah, he is. Oh, I oh yeah, I saw I saw a, a screen cap from a Facebook. Um, uh, event which someone organised it just said let's all throw bottles at Jerry Cinnamon they can he take us all <laughs> I I fully endorse this event oh uh, yeah I've uh, only seen that one but, song but he's an absolutely unforgivable shit cunt right, he has he's no Romeo called, Taylor let's be honest his biggest song is called Belter right and the, oh. the main line is she's a belter oh. like in a real thick Glaswegian Neddy accent it's fucking dreadful like even on an objective level why does that immediately is... make me think of the Limmy uh, smart casual sketch it really it really is <laughs> um, but basically he is really famous in Glasgow and he sold out Hamden last week fucking hell what's wrong oh. with your people <laughs> he's doing like three nights in the SECC uh, or the Hydro he's done the Bad House he's at the Transmit he's like exceptional. I've, I've genuinely never heard of him until last week. Exactly, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. the reason people like him is because he's from Glasgow. 
It's because he's from Glasgow. It's the same as, like, look, Louis Capaldi is different. I don't like Louis Capaldi's music, but I can clearly see that there is an artistic merit to it. I mean, and, yeah, you know, he's, he's like, quite a charismatic like, bloke as well, isn't he? He is a lovely man. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a good man. lad. I, I, yeah, wish, yeah. I wish I liked... It's like uh, Yuki Kamafuku in Tokyo Joshi. Like, she seems really nice on Twitter. Does that, I kind of wish, like, I wish I liked her wrestling more. <laughs> That's Louis Capaldi for me. Yeah. It's like Radiohead, it's like Crass, it's like a lot of them, you know. I enjoy the bands, but I just don't like their music. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I'm getting to my point, I swear. Uh, but Jerry Cinnamon is, like, exceptionally popular in Glasgow. For the fact that he is a Glaswegian musician, that is it. Mm. Like there is no other objective. If you are outside of Glasgow, you probably really outside of Scotland, you do not like Jerry Cinnamon. Nobody likes him. It's 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 very much t- um, tugging the nationalist heartstrings. You know, it's very much oh one of our own. He's doing well. We'll support him. Um, I don't. I think he's dog shit. But Jerry Cinnamon, ICW are the Jerry Cinnamon of professional wrestling. And he says that I'm not that good, but they're Glaswegian, so we all kind of like, I fair enough. Yeah, right, they know the, they know their audience, don't they? Like, yeah, it's, they do. It's the Glaswegians. It, yeah, uh, but like Glaswegian people, even if they don't necessarily enjoy the product or anything like that, will always be kind of like, yeah, you know, ICW, like, you know, it's it's doing, you know, it's doing, it's making waves, all that, um, and um, you know, it's giving people work and all that. And so, like, you know, we want them to do well because we want Glaswegians to do well in the same way. It was same. It was same with Manchester. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah I, exactly. I get that. It's the same idea. So that's why I, that's why ICW is, you know, very popular in Glasgow. It's just because people like the Glaswegian element to it. And you want to see them doing well. The the, yeah, the shows themselves are pretty bad. Like, really quite bad. I went the last ICW show I went to. Not, not the last one. The last one I went to was actually all right, but the one before that, um, I went to, and it was like the first half of it was the worst wrestling show I've ever been to in my life. It was honestly so bad. Is and, this like, the one you um you went to because Irie was? Uh... No, no, no. That one was actually there was two good matches on that, so you know, right. well, I'll, I'll take that. Um, yeah, that I had a rare import, and this is the other thing that kind of pisses me off of ICW is that they don't bring in their imports outside of Irie. And outside of being first, you know, Kushida on them, uh, they don't, you know, they don't bring in imports. And as a result, imports never come to Scotland because the only wrestling product in town is ICW. You've got your SWAs and, you know, your your British Championship Wrestling and all that. And they they have, like, your, your Tatankas of the world. Tatanka used to make absolute fucking coin. Just come to call Marnock and salt coats like twice a year um, but like they just uh, missed their ass I remember they once did like the the ICW stable the NAK versus DX how like, dare you speak ill of Monty Sop <laughs> Monty Sop Former I fucking IW... forgot that's the cunt's name that's your man's Jesus. name Monty Former fucking Sop IWGP intercontinental number one contender <laughs> Billy gun, but yeah, like so. Basically, we don't get imports in Glasgow. I'm very resentful of it. The fact that like imports don't. That's why I remember Lucha Forever. Remember uh, Lucha Forever? Well, us racing. I was so excited because we were bringing fucking people to Glasgow. It doesn't matter who they are. Like it literally is a case of you get Misawa and Carluke. That is your lot. That's it. Like you're not getting. <laughs> to be fair, else. it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> if you're gonna get like, just one. <laughs> 
Mako Satamura, for example, it was you who said like Mako Satamura's been in the UK so often she's seen Dream Girls in the West End like three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's never been to Glad Scotland. She's no. like been here like how like twelve times. It's interesting, isn't it? Because often having too many imports, like we talked about when we ever talk about Rev Pro, is often it can be a bad thing. But you also kind of in the modern wrestling landscape, you, you, I think you. you you kind of you want some at least you know uh, uh, some in the country if not the particular promotion that's local you know like Sabre Osprey yeah. Osprey I believe had a famous spat with ICW where they just hated each other so Osprey I've seen Osprey at Motherwell Concert Hall once Sabre I don't think ever been to Scotland that's really weird years. Um, like Timothy Thatcher has never been to Scotland uh, Walter until ICW booked him because he was in NXT had never been to Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all these people, like, you're, you're... It's just... Devitt used to come years ago before yeah. he signed to NXT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I he's remember. Like that. that was one I do, but that's... But he's not really... I mean, he's not really an import. I mean, I know he's from Ireland, but I guess he's worked so often in the UK it doesn't really count, does it? Like, but I mean, yeah. he was literally caught in film singing uh, up the Ram, Madison Square Garden, so he's... That's my boy! <laughs> So, yeah, uh, still the greatest entrance. Just, just, just to remind everyone that 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 happened on this on the same weekend that uh, or the same week that the Alan Partridge Immortal uh, oh, yeah. Al- Alan's Republican Irish twin was broadcast, and it was the greatest week on TV for the Reb since 1916. <laughs> <laughs> they were just happy someone had got to use their own voice on the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Finn Balor has been dubbed over with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think the overall the other overall thing about um uh ICW being like I mean, they've got some like um young talent young talent coming through, but like BT Gunzer was gonna be there, like Wolfgang's was gonna be there, like Jack um Jester. Yeah, Jack Jester, like um it's like when you go to like uh I don't know fucking um uh, future shock shows in um in uh, like the northwest, like any time in the last ten years, not not just the town outside of Manchester. It's also got the aqueduct with the biggest amounts of bricks in all any aqueduct in all of Europe. Danny Bagara's old stomping ground. It's also the town that um, people around Daniel used to threaten to go to when Man City were shite at Main Road. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Enthusiastic man, he claps, he screams, he has tight jeans. Enthusiastic man. That's a callback for the real hardcore listeners. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you are listening to this at all, you probably are going to listen, but uh, that's by the by. So I think the, uh, in conclusion, Brit Vest is a land of contrasts. And, um, <laughs> the best you know, of I, I, the worst of time. I think it's certainly not in as strong a position as it was in, say, uh, 2017. And, like, yeah, you see, like, numerous promotions closing down, having problems with cash flow, uh, things like that. It's not necessarily the greatest, uh, but, like, I certainly feel it's built itself up enough now that, um, you know, we're, we're not going back to the days of uh, Brian Dixon tribute shows and your, your big imports well, are, are René Dupree and Danny Basham, you know. That's well, <laughs> George, um, oh God. I, I, I would like to point you to the, the great shining light of Brit Rest, the beacon, if you will, um, the, the, the hot promotion that's coming out. I, um, it goes by the, the well... Wearing a name of Grado's family panto wrestling at the pavilion. <laughs> I want to go to this so much, but it's always on a Saturday at three o'clock, and I'm like, "Come on, guys!" I feel like, like this is a show that was booked with you in mind. 
literally yeah. is. Like, yeah, it is literally. I've never been to the pavilion at all. Never mind for wrestling, because that was where all the American Super Slam wrestling I've seen on TV shows were. You said like uh, the pavilion. I've always wanted to go. So, Grado, if you are listening, uh, I listen to wrestling now, so you should be listening to this. If you are listening, book a show on a Sunday for the love of God, and I'll go. I will go immediately. I want to go so much. I want a foam <laughs> finger. I want to go boo yay. I want. To, I don't want to do it all. Is Grado a hardcore Presbyterian who won't work on the Sabbath? Is this how you found out? Well, he's definitely a hun. I don't know if he's a Presbyterian. Yes, yes, he is. Very publicly a massive hun. I mean, he he had to pull out of Shug's house party because he he injured his leg during rehearsals to the Rangers musical, so yes. Um, But yeah, uh, but Grado's family panto wrestling at the pavilion is just... uh, With Crater managed by Mark Dallas. It's like my favourite pairing of all time. Just like Mark Dallas was being wide on Twitter before, like him would sit next to Crater going, anybody wants to step to me, you can meet my pal Crater. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, Crater wrestler. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I, as well as that, you know, it's all looking up. I mean, Craig White and Ticketus have launched a takeover bid for five-star wrestling. <laughs> Fuck's sake. The Blue Knights consortium have rushed Oh, in. my God, yeah. I completely forgot about five-star wrestling even being a thing of that whole Yeah, me too. That's the... Actually, the only reason I've I've remembered it recently is because I listened to that podcast Matthew did about the Wrestling with Pixels Kickstarter, and he mentions uh, the developers behind the five-star wrestling video game and... Um, and that was a trip, wasn't it? Remember that? The glory day. Yeah. yeah. Our, our our mate was on that show. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he worked for the he worked for the uh, developers, like just left yeah, uh, left hand drive on real real bad business. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, really, he really, really out, like, business. Really, yeah, really fucked up all over. Um, I mean, th- that's the other thing about Brutus as well. Like, you know, it's always going to be there. There's always going to be cowboys as well. That's the um, that's the other thing. People trying to make a quick book and just um, you know. Burning, burning the town when like, you know the show ends up being shies and people don't want to like bring their kids back to the next time when like an actually good show might come through. I mean, I have an I have an idea for um, a WWE Network show. I'm happy to give this. Um, all I'm saying is two words: Brett rest bailiffs, right? <laughs> I want, I, I want, I want basically the TV show bailiffs, but I want people to turn up to all these failing, you know, cowboy promotions. I want someone to kick in like the warehouse door of five star wrestling and like seize like Jack Swagger's old leotards or something like that. I, I, I want this in my life. So Brett rest bailiffs, you know, get it booked, Vince. Just, just, just baby face run-ins from like, uh, like inversions of like um, uh, famous wrestling sort of like lawyer heels uh, or like if, li- if Jack Swagger's gonna be. Uh... Jack Swagger's going to be on any British uh, TV show. It's probably going to be Police Interceptors, isn't it? <laughs> Good God. That's Jacob Hagar to you. Jacob <laughs> Proud boy Jacob Hagar, allegedly. Um, Jacob so, Hagar, um, another year of exonerable progress. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean we've got okay we've got we've gone on for uh, quite a while now about uh, bit rest but um, I think we'll sort of um, wrap this all up by we'll, we'll probably talk bit rest a bit more with the Christmas special anyway but um, uh, just um, yeah to say thank you for listening to our uh, top uh, our uh, two part show about uh, about the British wrestling scene so we've taken you from the world of sport era to the um, present day and just showing you the uh, the fuck I forgot this was about bit rest. 
Jesus, I forgot this whole show was a bit prep rest. Yeah, anyway. this is what happens when you spend like uh, two months um, <laughs> apart, apart from like recording the uh, the first two matches on this show and then the uh, the next one. Yeah, yes, it, it was a series about sometime back in the Mister Time we decided to do a two part uh, two part about Brit rest, uh, specifically Japanese wrestlers' contributions to uh, various uh, various Brit rest. Oh, Mark Rocco, remember him? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the same uh, the same run of episodes. <laughs> So uh, with with that in mind, uh, we'll just uh, do some uh, do some plugs. So uh, you can find us on at Puro Podcast on Twitter. We are the Puro Puro Podcast. Find us on Puro Puro Podcast at SoundCloud. And if you want to look at some of the writings that we have done in the past, you can go to I Maintain the Double Foot That's I Maintain the Double Foot um, Most recently, I have put up a three part series wondering what it would be like if the eleven wrestlers on the Gatto Move roster were sorted into a football team and what formation they would play and what roles they would fulfil. I had a a uh, hell of a lot of fun writing it. Um, there's also an article uh, I did uh, called Is Antonio Inoki a Remainer? Which is rather nightmarishly one of the most balanced articles on Brexit that has been uh, published in this country in the last three months. Uh, me and David did some uh, old uh, Robot Wars uh, reviews in the style of like, uh, like gave Dave Meltzer star ratings to um, and basically treated it as those wrestling matches. Like we had a lot of fun writing those. Even, uh, there's even poetry at the end. Some of it's in Villanelle form. Who won't want to fucking read that? Um, uh, it's just the lyrics from Timber by Pitbull. Yeah, I mean, Pitbull. Seems to be a bit Matilda. Well, uh, when, when do you think about it, uh, Year 9? Uh, rappers are the Shakespeare of today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, we, should have, we should have tried that and I wouldn't have fucking quit teaching because of stress after a month. Um, so, um, I've also got a... Um, this, this is what I do with my time now. I write uh, fiction. I have uh, done a novel called The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan. You can buy that on Amazon uh, for the low, low price of £2.49 if you want the um, Kindle version and for £14.99 if you want the paperback version. That is the lowest price I could do it um, with regard to the uh, rather large number of pages it had. The printed on demand in Poland and will be shipped to your door within the week. It's a really good service. Um, basically, it is about Ricky Dozan, the father of uh, Japanese wrestling and all the stuff he got up to in the uh, late 1950s and 1960s, and my protagonists um, basically making his way in the world of wrestling and struggling to come to terms with the fact that the man he idolised when growing up might not necessarily be as virtuous as he pretended to be on screen. So it's a novel which uh, deals with uh, such hot-button topics as uh, race, identity, the state of a nation picking itself back up after war, being disappointed by your heroes, and uh, there's lots of... uh, of uh, fun shit about classic Freddy Blassie in there as well. So who would want to read that? Um, what about you guys? What you got to um, you want to uh, tell our lovely listeners about? David, you want to go for first? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, by the time this comes out, um, I will have started um, a new uh, project, which um, I hope everyone will uh, subscribe to, uh, because it will be um, through uh, the website Substack, which um, actually pays you for when people subscribe to your, what uh, what will essentially be a newsletter. Um, so um, it's going to be coming out every Friday. It's called Cold Storage, and the um, the just, just to give you an idea of what this will be, um, it's going to be a weekly newsletter digest of radical history, politics, and culture. It's Created by me. Um, each edition will be in your inbox at some point between morning and midnight every Friday. It's going to get you ready for the weekend with a kind of personal curation of essays, articles, music, film, and audio. It's going to cover working class history, contemporary liberation, and utopian struggles, experimental, radical opposition, and popular culture. So yeah, it's um, 
just a kind of um, way for me to um, share, uh, I guess, um, all the things um, audio, visual, um, text based that I've been enjoying that week. Um, it's a kind of personal project that's reflective of my own obsessions and preoccupations. And I'm just going to offer it up every Friday as a kind of small contribution to collective education and resource sharing. At the very least, it should help you to alleviate some of the boredom um, of your uh, sort of day at work. You can read it on your boss's time and it should act as a kind of bulwark against bourgeois morality. Or that will also probably be dicks in it and uh, good tunes. Um, so yeah, the uh, first one's going to be out on Friday. Uh, you can subscribe at coldstorage.substack.com uh, and it's going to be covering a lot of things, um, including um, the situ a lot of articles um, and background and analysis of the situation in Bolivia and the right-wing coup there. Um, and it's also going to go into some YouTube finds of the week, including the excellent um, and um, these days a little bit underseen um, social realist um, docu uh, sort of um, uh, drama series Bill Brand from the uh, 70s in the UK, which I found on YouTube. Um, and a few of the YouTube finds, um, an album of the week, a mix of the week, uh, and uh, various other things um, uh, that you'll, you should find interesting. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be something I'm working on. So coldstorage.substack.com and the more people that subscribe, the more money I will get to help me in my life buy food. That's <laughs> um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, outside of that, com to give me money for my bad music. Excellent and uh, solidar solidarity with uh, solidarity with Eva Morales and the lads. Uh, I think it. Uh, I think it goes without saying. For, for reals. Yeah, uh, that is yeah. the official position of the Pro podcast. Okay, David. Well, speaking of acts of solidarity, I have my own act of solidarity to give as well. Um, uh, I would like to show solidarity with the members of the University and College Union, UCU. Boom, my union. Um, yeah, well, exactly. Um, my, well, basically, uh, to long story short, um, I applied for a full-time uni course this year, didn't get it, now doing part-time uni courses just to kind of fill the gap for the year. Uh, my part-time courses are affected basically the come to an end this week, but the last classes won't be happening because they're on strike. Good. So, um, yeah, uh, Glasgow Uni, they have a reputation for being very middle of the road. They're not as good as other uh, unis, but not as uh, bad as, like, your proper uh, shithouse unis. But, uh, like, they, they don't get paid very well. I know there's various people, like, uh, my lecturer, for example, they don't have, like, a pension uh, plan, or you're, you're, you're certainly a convention. I don't think you have a pension at all, to be fair. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, we are obviously showing solidarity. We're not obviously attending our lecture on Monday because, well, the lecture won't be there, but um, yeah, we're just, um, yeah, we're uh, wanting to show a bit of solidarity for that because, um, yeah, it's a really, a really good thing and, you know, uh, it's absolutely something to be um, commended. Um, in addition, I, um, uh, my, uh, I have two music web uh, band camps. You can go to either one. Um, it's well, the first one is fastbuck.bandcamp.com where I do lots of wrestling themed stuff. So it's a record label. I say record label. It's me and my pal. Um, and as well as I have a personal one as well, which is um, it's Bolian Waddle with two silent X's. So it's B O L I X A N D X W A D D L E dot bandcamp.com. All of that stuff is done by me. So if you buy anything at all, that all goes to me. In fact, somebody, I went to the pub last week. I was telling you about how I went, uh, I got invited to Roller Disco. I met someone else as well. They ended up buying an album off me, so I got like four quid off of them. So uh, it's, uh, I bought me a pint, so that was absolutely lovely. Um, so yeah, um, check that out. I'm also doing a podcast, which should be coming out January, February, on the history of the Anglo-Italian Cup. Um, so uh, it's a 10-part series. 
about the Anglo-Italian Cup. Um, I uh, interviewed uh, Swindon Town's historian uh, two days ago <laughs> for it because they won the first two. Uh, wow. Spoilers. And um, yeah, I'm just doing a whole ton of interviews. I'm interviewing a man from Italy whose team is like non-league team Lecco. Is it Arrigo Saki? It's not Arrigo Saki. He wasn't available, sadly. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm doing that, and it's nothing like this, so don't worry, it's not going to be shy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually it's like an actual podcast, so it's like actual like it's a documentary basically, and it's all done. But um, the 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 key to it is the the soundtrack, which is um, a Daniel. I'm sure you'll be very well aware of Italo. Mm-hmm, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an it's entirely a Talo Disco soundtrack. Oh, amazing! Oh yes, please. It's it's wonderful. Um, I ended up going to my friend's house, explaining this to him, and just listening to hundreds of Talo tracks. Oh. Today, um, so wonderful. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'll be doing that. I'll be January, February. Um, I am doing it. It's 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 in the process, but it's like I'm I'm putting a lot of effort into it. I'm writing scripts and everything. Oh, so, fantastic! Uh, yeah. Um, and as well as that. Um, oh, you can you can find me on Twitter at OTIG Tweet, and as well as that, I have a blog which is fahadmnamur.wordpress.com. I really have no brand synergy whatsoever. <laughs> no, um, I don't. <laughs> all completely different, but you know, one day I might I might sort that out. But yeah, um, you know, um, yeah, um, if you ever want to chat to me, I I genuinely use my personal Twitter as a burner account to follow lots of football accounts. So that George isn't having to see what's going on with Irvin Victoria this week. I mean, we follow um, quite a few from the podcast account as well. We do. Like, uh, I, I can only imagine how many you were. If this is you holding back the amount we follow from the podcast account, yeah, I can only imagine. I literally, I use it to go to games. So I use it as like news updates and stuff like that. So that's why. So yeah, uh, but if you add me on that, fantastic. I do post from time to time. It's also my way of taking. Um, now that they've taken off the Facebook compatibility, any uh, screenshots I make on PS4. Um, I have to use for Twitter now, so yeah, look at lots of Yakuza uh, Kiwami screenshots and uh, FIFA. But yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, just have a look out. Bandcamp, podcasting, Anglo Italian Cup. What's the stuff going on? All right, brilliant. Well, we've got uh, three minutes until uh, Daniel needs to dash, so I will just uh, uh, close close by saying uh, I've been the man they call Stato. Um, thank you very much to uh, David and Daniel for their contributions. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and your next episode will probably be, it will either be part two of the current match microscope run or it will be the Christmas special depending on which we um, have time to record first. So um, with that in mind, thank you very much for listening and fuck off. <laughs> Go fuck yourself.
good. Good. I didn't, I didn't like Flynn. Like <laughs> I mean, like Michael Flynn. And like Jerry Flynn, losing to Goldberg consistently on a bi-weekly basis. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in like Mr. JL. <laughs> Mr. JL. I thought you said Mr. JL. Mr. JL, or as you'll soon be known, Haiti Wrestling fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, call the cops. <laughs> Like, I I know we shouldn't pile in on him, but we really should pile in on him because he's terrible. And not even just for the stuff he's done, just in terms of just his, like, his general output. It's utter dog yeah. shit. It's, it's kind of like when, like, someone gets, uh, like, someone gets, uh, obviously, mobilising about outrage culture, blah, 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 Brendan O'Neill bollocks, but... But when um, will we cancel like... the cancel culture, George? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When, when someone gets cancelled who you really fucking hope would, obviously you don't want, like, bad things to happen to people because of their behaviour, but it, it's there is something rather gratifying about being confirmed that someone you suspected was a shitbag oh, actually is. I, mean, I can't wait for David Attenborough to be out as a pedo. <laughs> my, my friend has the same theory. He thinks that David Attenborough is going to be next on the YouTube well, list. Yeah, me and my friend have had this theory for years that it, it's just going to end up being someone that everyone just universally loves. Um, His other one was David Jason. That was the other one. Oh, or no. Or Fry. Or, or on a similarly related Ooh. Norwich regional tip, Delia Smith. <laughs> that's, a, that's a left field. I mean, I um, hope not. I mean, I don't mind if it's Fry or Attenborough because, you know, fuck them. But, like, not Delia. No, she's, she's a national where treasure. Are you? Exactly. She gets pissed on football pitches and taught me to boil an egg. Not her. I mean, that 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 is still the greatest thing to happen in the history of the Premier League. Um, oh, I absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, sh- shall we? Uh, shall we uh, begin? I can do the uh, do the intro, and it is episode uh, 21. 20, 21 or twenty one. Twenty one, I think, because twenty is uh, twenty was the last one. Yeah, the file was called episode twenty. Right. Yeah, look, yeah, look. If, if if I if I say episode twenty one, it turns out it's twenty two. I will just send myself an audio file of me saying the word two, I, and you can. I think you can do like a Mister Black style overdub. <laughs> twenty two. <laughs> and it's a corner for Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically I'm going to be the ISS sixty four podcaster. Like it's going to it's going to be a good time. Uh, oh, literally, just before we begin, you guys will love this. It's very quick. Um, I've got a tattoo planned, which is going to be um, Jasper from The Simpsons, but in BDSM gear, it's just going to say, that's your bed. As I mean, I meant to tell you, have you heard about how wrestling's went total kink? Have you heard about this? Uh, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm, li- I'm about to talk about this. The, la- the most up-to-date show I've just watched is Triple Mania. Right, okay. So I, I, um, I have four things that you'll absolutely die at that um, are absolutely wonderful in terms of um, a segment I would like to call Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if you, if you... So you're you're completely out of the loop in terms of... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much past like this, the start of summer. I have not watched any contemporary wrestling and I've actually like, deliberately not done so to sort of try and catch up or just go in and, you know. So do you know anything about uh, Mike and Maria Canellis? <laughs> Other than I, I know who they are and I'm familiar with oh them. My oh, my God. Oh, my word. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so just 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 for, like, we should probably just have this as, as an open. I don't know, but for, for, like, for, for fans listening, Matt, just to get them familiar, my familiarity with um, uh, the Canellas goes up to and including them getting signed for WWE, doing the where where outrageously good looking and love each other gimmick, and then also um, uh, uh, Maria outing herself as a member of the Democratic Socialist of America on Instagram. Oh yes, yeah, that was that was glorious. Pretty solid stuff, yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Get get yourself ready. Right, I'm brave. Strap in. I'm strapped. Um, Cody Graves called Mike Kanellis a beta cuck on Raw two weeks ago. Wow. Daniel, they are in a cuckold gimmick. They are in a full-on blown cuckold gimmick. Wow. Are they hot wifing on Raw? Uh, he uh, basically uh, Mike Kanellis is being cuckolded by one Alexander Rusev, who has now basically got a tash. It looks a bit like yours. Oh, I, I mean, to be I, fair, Alexander Rusev would, would automatically, just by walking out the house, cook half the male population. <laughs> he is a stallion, it's true. He, he, I mean, he, he's a specimen, let's be fair. Um, but it, this is integrated into the gimmick, though. That's basically the gimmick. She's pregnant and, like, Mike Canellis is not the father. Like, is he, but is he into it? Um, no. Well, I, I don't know, but she is consistently degrading him in public in front of other people. Like, for example, if have you heard of it? Have you heard about the twenty four seven title? Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with this. So basically, Maria won the twenty four seven title when she was pregnant. Yeah. Uh, by Mike Kanellis won it, and then Maria forced Mike Kanellis to lie down, and Maria stood on him for the one two three to win the belt. Wow, I mean that is quite you know. Uh, co- like, coincidentally, I, I... Paul Heyman was recently appointed the executive president of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> she consistently like just denigrates him and calls him not a real man. She needs a real man and stuff like that. And, oh, uh, good lord! Yeah. Th- th- things really have changed. Maybe my people are finally being accepted by the men. <laughs> well, well, Daniel, that's not all. That's oh wow! All. Have you heard about J uh, White and Tetsuya Naito's recent tiff? Ah, oh, yeah. Please tell me, please tell me that this is going to lead to a gimmick which involves the Tetsuya Naito power bottom experience. <laughs> <laughs> Finn Martin's Power Bottom magazine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that's Finley Martin, if you don't mind. Oh my god, by the way, if you go on his website, you can actually see that he's hawking um, himself as a um, quit-smoking, um, like, sort of pyramid scheme-style life coach, uh, where he hawks an e-book in which he he, 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 he reckons he's got the secret to quitting smoking. Uh, and Kenzenzi, Paul McKenna has now uh, launched a dirt sheet, so... Uh... <laughs> That's old school. Oh, welcome to Paul McKenna's side. Uh, but, um, uh, Jay White and Tetsuya Naito have been doing a thing where they, you know how they constantly, like, they, they, they wind up their opponents and they do stuff to kind of wind them up, but they can't wind each other up, they're unwindable. Yeah. So they're doing really sexy things to wind each other up, including spit play. Oh, wow. Uh, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a wee bit spitting in each other's face and they're absolutely loving it. Like, proper... And then I think people are theorising that they're just going to have a match at the Dome where they just fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... This, 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 first, one, first one to come loses the, the Intercontinental title. This, this this sounds like the guys that come up to you in queer clubs and say, just so you know, I'm not gay. Um, before asking to get fisted. <laughs> like, well, it's not a dick, so it doesn't count. Uh, yeah. you, you know? <laughs> like, um... As well as that, Asuka's doing YouTube f- videos in her bare feet to pump up the views. Oh, for fuck's sake, that's like the one fetish I've not got. Oh. No, feet are grim. Uh, yeah, that's she's, all the uh, she's, consist- that's such she's a consistently. Um, 
<laughs> she's consistently not wearing shoes or socks or anything because oh, she knows that every video she does it, the views go up because it's just absolute perverts who love it. I went to Durham Cathedral recently, and uh, sorry, not Durham Cathedral, uh, Dublin, one of the cathedrals in Dublin, and uh, there is a, as part of an exhibit on like uh, religious music, there is the sheet music for a hymn called How Beautiful Are the Feet, which was uh, written by <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Uh, <laughs> Mr. T. Atlas. Uh, yeah. No, like I, I only, I only, I literally only fancy my girlfriend's feet. Like I don't like. There's no one else's feet. Like, actually, I think. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I literally only fancy her feet and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, no, I don't even fancy my waist. Feet. Exactly. That's what I mean. Usually, I don't. I don't even like the feet of the person I'm with. You know. <laughs> and as well as a, a late comer into Wrestle Kingdom, um, Yo, Yo, he came out. Oh yeah. Um, here we go. Was um was interviewed on New Japan World on Friday about his recent toilet art exhibition that he's doing. Wow. What, when you say toilet art, like I, is, is there human canvases or? Um. He, I, I he's made a Piet Mondrian inspired toilet seat. Oh okay. He, he seems to be like quite influenced by Marcel Duchamp and the lads. Um, Got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He, 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 there was this is an actual New Japan article on their website about Yo's fascination with toilet. <laughs> oh wow! He, he's taken well, his you know, he's taken right. his Duchamp obsession too far by like uh, installing a urinal in a museum and writing R Romero on it. <laughs> well, you know, I'd like to welcome him to the community. <laughs> absolutely wonderful scenes. Um, That's amazing. I didn't realise that wrestling accommodated my alternative lifestyle. <laughs> it's been a wild <laughs> few been months, wild. and none of this involves Jack Jester either. That's the uh, most, most surprising thing. Mark Rockoff, soon to be star, Brett Rest Bailiffs. You've done it all. You've broken every code. Last year, Butlins Camp wrestlers in England and Wales lost £76 million in unpaid wages to shady promoters. And we avoided £60 million worth of licensing fees for pirated DVD-Rs. And when carnies don't pay up, it's the job of the Brit Rest Bayless to reclaim these funds by hook or by crook. The bill from Manchester came to the dojo of Alex Shea looking to reclaim a wrestling ring which has gone missing along with several thousands of pounds, swindled from trainees with his accomplices from the Japanese Yaks. I shall so recay! Joshua 
there, fools you are, Yoshi Ackley. I've come to take your fucking city away, you little nuts cunt. You all five bombs at Sky, and if you don't come and answer this door right now, I'll talk out your whole fucking family. Just a little bitch slap, that's all, a little bitch slap. <laughs>